Hello, everybody. Dave here. This episode of Tales from the Backlog is brought to you by the patrons of the Tube. Personal heroes of mine like Chris Nelson, the Top 3 Podcast crew, and new patron Adam from The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog, and many more have gone to patreon.com slash realdavejackson and supported the Tube, and they're getting some cool treats in return. You can be like them and head to patreon.com slash realdavejackson and be my hero too. All right, let's start the show. Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to talk about a game we played. My guest today is a friend of the show, host of the Still Loading podcast, coming to you from the year 65 million BC, Josh Koval. How you doing, man? I didn't know I was that old. Holy shit. Oh, okay. I'm doing pretty good other than these creaky bones coming from yeah. 65 million BC. All but things no, considered, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, doing, I'm looking pretty damn good for my age, if I do say so myself. But no, uh-huh. man, thank you so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, we've been talking about getting you on the show for a long time, and I'm glad it's finally happening. So thanks for joining me today. And today we're going to be talking about Chrono Trigger, which is a JRPG developed and published by Square for the Super Nintendo in 1995. Elevator pitch for Chrono Trigger, if you're not sure what it is. It is a time-traveling JRPG classic, and this is like the dream team from Square. Everybody who is a big name at the company back then worked on this game. So Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy, this is his story. Yuji Horii, the creator of Dragon Quest, worked on this too. Akira Toriyama, the uh, character designer from Dragon Quest and author of Dragon Ball. That's why Chrono looks like he's straight out of Dragon Ball Z. He worked on this. And the soundtrack uh, by just two, man, heavy hitters in the JRPG soundtrack game. Uh, Yasunori Mitsuda, who I know from the Xenoblade uh, Xeno series. Uh, This was as far as I know, his first game, supplemented by the the OG Nobuo Uematsu from Final Fantasy. So this is just wall to wall, just like it's titans so, in the JRPG industry. so much talent industry. on this yeah. roster. So much talent. And it, in all honesty, it it the polish on it shows without going into opinions on like gameplay and all that other stuff, like the polish of this game really shows the amount of expertise that this team had. It's just amazing. Yeah. So that was a very long elevator, but that is like... I like long rides. Yeah. That is like when I started looking into Chrono Trigger a little bit, that was what really stood out to me is it's like all these names, it's all here. Uh, So the spoiler policy for this episode, let's get this out of the way. It's going to be a normal episode of Tales from the Backlog. I think the spoiler section at the end will be a little bit shorter than last week's episode, uh, but we have a lot of gameplay 
music, visual things to talk about. So we're going to save, of course, story spoilers for the end. Make sure to check the timestamps in the show notes uh, so you know when that spoiler wall is. But before we get into talking about Chrono Trigger, Josh, why don't you tell everyone what's going on over at uh, Still Loading? Hey, yeah. So Still Loading is my podcast. It is a video game podcast that I kind of describe as a grab bag of video game and video game topics. Um, I do a little bit of everything. I cover history. I cover uh, the way I kind of describe it as a video game podcast uh, or sorry, excuse me, a podcast about video games, their culture and their history. And I cover, I do deep dives into individual games. I do, I have a, a mini rewatch series that I've been in the middle of for the last year and a half, uh, or actually about a year, uh, where I, a friend of my, a friend of mine and I, we rewatch the entire Captain N series because we're gluttons for punishment and we mm-hmm. watch this <laughs> awful cartoon. And each, once a month, we release an episode where we just walk with the audience through an episode of Captain N the Game Master. And it's, kind of amazing it's been one of the most fun projects i've done uh so there's that and actually for anyone who's interested you can watch the entire series for free on youtube so you don't even have to spend any money on it and besides that deep dives captain n i do weird ideas i did an episode a couple years ago like uh uh still loading story time which was a bunch of dramatic readings of video game manuals which was a lot of fun (laughs) (laughs) uh I, I had a friend of mine do an Alex Jones impression reading one manual. That was actually kind of amazing. And mm-hmm. then uh, more recently, one of my more ambitious episodes was the Final Fantasy Fantasy Draft. Do you like yeah. fantasy sports? Do you like Final Fantasy? Well, this is what happens when these two mash together. And it turned out pretty well. That Final Fantasy Fantasy Draft was so much fun to listen to. Like, I catch your show when I can, um, and I have no idea what Captain N is, I'll be honest. But I do listen to, uh, especially when you do uh, specific episodes about specific games, because, I mean, that's what I do on my show. That's what I Mm -hmm. like. But that Final Fantasy Fantasy Draft was so much fun, and you had some really awesome guests on that episode. It It was a good time. Thank you. Thank you. They the they knew their stuff. They were the ones that made that episode. I had the idea, but I would not. I don't know enough about Final Fantasy in general to be able to do what all of my guests did in that episode. And I eventually want to do a second version of it. I, I would love to maybe with a, a different round of guests or something like that, just to get some different opinions, change it up. It'd be really interesting. So, uh, yeah, thank you, man. That means a lot. I, I It's one of my favorite episodes for sure. Yeah. So everybody, if you are looking for stuff like that, I mean, just go check out that Final Fantasy Fantasy Draft. If you need a kind of intro to still loading, go check that out. But scroll through. The show's been going for a long time now, so you are bound to find lots and lots of stuff that interests you. If you're listening to this show, guarantee there's a still loading episode for you. And real quick, the just you you said you didn't know what Captain N was. Captain N, the Game Master, was an old cartoon that came out in '89. It was mm-hmm. licensed by Nintendo, and it's the idea of this kid named Kevin who gets sucked into this place called Video Land, and he interacts with <laughs> Mega Man and Simon oh. Belmont. And they don't call him Pit. His name is Kid Icarus in the show. Not Pit like it like in the game, but Kid Icarus, mm-hmm. like the title of the game. And they have to fight Mother Brain and King Hippo and Eggplant Wizard, who's trying to take over Video Land. So it's it's about this good versus evil, and it's awful. They gave Mega Man a smoker's <laughs> voice. That he literally goes 
<laughs> Captain N. <laughs> uh, he kind of speaks like that. Kid Icarus um, has a borderline speech impediment because almost every sentence ends with Icarus. So instead of, for example, if he were to say, how are you doing, Kevin? He'd go, how are you doing, Kevinicus? <laughs> All over the place. Simon Belmont is kind of like a surfer bro pretty boy who's a tool at the same time like he's just this awful human being it's a very strange character choice and mother brain you know the the mute character from like the the character that doesn't even have a face from the original metroid game is voiced by levi stubbs the same voice he he levi stubbs is known for a couple things if you've ever seen little shop of horrors he's audrey two in little shop of horrors he's the voice of the plant he's more famously known for being one of the lead singers in the four tops the Motown group. <laughs> so there Voicing you go. Voicing mother brain. You, if there's, if you do anything, listeners, Captain N is one of those shows where it's so good, it's bad, or it's so bad, it's good, excuse me. Mm-hmm. But if you do anything, if you don't want to subject yourself to that, either A, look up a picture of Captain N, mother brain from Captain N, and it's kind of terrifying, or B, Find an audio clip of Levi Stubbs' voice as Mother Brain. It is one of the most <laughs> amazing performances I've ever heard. I'm looking at a picture now. <laughs> Why does it have a clown's face? I have no idea, man. <laughs> it confuses me, and it makes me so happy at the same time. It's so funny looking. I just love the idea. And she just lives in a jar, and it's... Oh, my God. I, I could talk about... I mean... I was literally just messaging my co-host for that mini series. His name's Dexter Morrill. He's a graphic artist, and <laughs> he was uh, he was posting about it like here, check out all the episodes. He was literally posting about it right before we we started recording, and he mentioned in a comment, "He's like, I can't believe we've recorded fourteen hours of audio about Captain and the Game Master." <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, these episodes are only twenty minutes long. If we uh-huh. we've done uh, now fourteen epi- or sorry, we've recorded fifteen episodes. That one hasn't been released yet. And all of them are at least an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Most of them are an hour to an hour and 10. I think two are underneath. <laughs> going to be one of those things where your product is way longer and <laughs> way longer than the, the source material. Yeah. There is so much to break down in that series. If <laughs> it, Dave, if you get a chance, if you ever watch an episode and you find it amusing enough, we would love to have you on for an episode. Okay. I mean, that. That show does sound ridiculous, like straight up. You it's were insane. describing it's like, you know, it's a it's a show with Mega Man and Simon Belmont. And I was like, when I was a kid, I would have loved that. And then, then you gave the second part of the description. And I was like, oh, okay, I see why you say it's terrible. <laughs> it's so bad. So today we're going to be talking about something that is pretty good. A little tease for how I feel about the game. We're talking about Chrono Trigger today. So we start every episode by giving our kind of histories with Chrono Trigger, when's the first time you played it, what made you want to play it, and then uh, for me, usually it's uh, what made me want to, you know, play it right now, because all these games I'm kind of going through and playing before recording, of course. So, Josh, guest always goes first, when was the first time you played Chrono Trigger, and what appealed to you? So, I first played Chrono Trigger, I first heard of Chrono Trigger a a long while ago i um i'm actually trying to look on because i'm 99 percent certain that i posted about 
posted on Facebook about beating Chrono Trigger for the first time. So I'm actually trying to find, I'm trying to see if I can find when I posted about it. Okay, I beat it in 2014. That's what okay. I beat it in 2014. That was a fast lookup. Um, and I remember hearing like my my friend Justin, who actually started the podcast with me initially before I kind of went off solo. He he's one of the biggest fans of this game, and he was telling me for years like, "Oh, Chrono Trigger is like the best RPG ever." Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's debatable. It's up to your uh, preference. But it was his favorite RPG. And so for years, I had heard about this amazing JRPG, and I've always wanted to try it. Then I started getting into collecting. And of course, then I realized that the game was not cheap. Even back then, now it's still, I forget what it's worth. Like a loose copy of the game is worth now. I'll look it up while we're talking. But it, it still is not cheap. So for years, I didn't play because I kind of wanted to play the original. Like I wanted to play it on the original hardware not on an emulator or even on the ds and now the ds version is kind of expensive too which is stupid to think about so i actually bought my i ended up finally buying a copy obviously back around in 2014 uh i think around for a hundred bucks i paid for just a loose copy of it i think it was maybe slight slightly below a hundred um but right now a loose cart goes for Oh, I, I just had it and it just updated. Hold on, it was like two hundred. It's two hundred dollars right now. Yeah, approximately. It, it could be <laughs> a little bit less, um, or a little bit more. It really just depends on who's selling it. And even the if you want a complete inbox version of the Chrono Trigger for the DS, it's one hundred and fifteen dollars. So mm. every version of this game in physical form is stupid expensive. Thankfully, they have released it on a number of different platforms now. Um, I don't think it's on Nintendo Switch Online or the Super Nintendo Mini, but you can, you can, I think you, uh, there's, I think you can get it in other places, but I digress. So that was how I first heard of the game. And then when I finally played through it, I just remember being hooked on it. When I finally played through it almost like, uh, uh, almost 10 years ago now, it was just, I was completely hooked on it and then mm-hmm. played all the way through it. And then I didn't really think about it. It was always just one of those games where I remembered the feeling that I, that it gave me. I really enjoyed my experience with it. So I would always, when people talk about Chrono Trigger, I go, Oh yeah, it's a great game. And mm-hmm. I played, I, I played about like three or four hours as kind of like a refresher for this episode. And I'm not going to lie. It's still, it's still fun to me. Yeah, so I had a friend just like you, like you just described, uh, Aaron Angle, who's been on this show many times, Mm -hmm. one of my hosts on a top three podcast. We grew up together talking about video games all the time. And he, same thing, just always like, man, you got to play Chrono Trigger. This game is, this game is incredible. And I, so I didn't have a Super Nintendo when I was a kid. I had a DS, but for some reason just did not know that the DS version existed. And so for my whole life, then, like you said, the the physical cartridges start to get super expensive. And so I just kind of was like, well, people tell me it's good. Maybe I'll emulate it sometime because I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to buy one. Uh, so it was just always this game that was like, I'll play that someday, maybe. And they have an iOS version of Chrono Trigger. That was the first version. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Back in 2010. 20, I think was the first time I played it, but uh, I played it on my phone, which is key uh, because I cannot focus on games on my phone. There's too much shit happening all the time. Neither can I. I feel you on that. Yeah, it's the worst. So like 
a JRPG is when you think about it is like the it, your phone is the worst place to play a story driven JRPG. <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't connect with it and I came out of the experience I I I got about maybe 18 to 20 hours into the game which is most of the way through the game and I just came out of it like I don't see what everyone sees in this. Like I, nothing is hooking me yada yada yada. And then uh, you and I started talking about like what game to play uh, to have you on an episode of the show. We talked about Chrono Trigger and I have my uh, 3DS, which has all the emulators on it. So I emulated the DS version and getting into some opening thoughts like, oh my God, what a difference it makes to play a JRPG not on your phone. This game is so much better than my first experience. <laughs> that makes me so happy to hear because I remember one of the 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 things that we were talking about before recording this. You mentioned, yeah, I wasn't. You you mentioned that you weren't much of a fan of it because, and then you also mentioned on your you played on your phone. I I think mm-hmm. I remember us me saying like, well, it might be a better experience, but I genuinely didn't know. Like I didn't know if it would yeah. make that much of a difference, but <laughs> like I guess it really does. It like the playing a game the way it was intended to now and they did tweak the ds version slightly they added a new ending because mm-hmm. without going into any spoilers on the story itself one of the mechanics of the game is multiple endings it gives you a way mm-hmm. to end yeah. the game in mult in a lot of different ways and in the original version there's like 12 ish uh now that i'm looking at the wiki there's a lot of different ways to that you can end the game and i like I only did it the one way the first time I played. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do give you in the in the DS version, they gave you an extra ending. There's only it's called Dreams Epilogue and it only appears on the DS, iOS, and Android versions. Oh, and Windows. It appears on all mm-hmm. those. This replay on the DS was I mean, night and day compared to playing it on the phone. And so now my kind of like general thought about Chrono Trigger is that this game is really good. It's not in my top three to five JRPGs, I think this game's really good. And the reason I think it's really good, which is it's going to be like the first, you know, discussion point when we get a little bit further, is that I just love how focused this game is because JRPGs are so fucking long. And this is not. This is a 20 to 25 hour game. It's so refreshing for an RPG to be a <laughs> manageable amount of time. Especially for for people like us who are playing games and making content about it, like I never play <laughs> games anymore. I I play me if I'm lucky, I get to play twenty to thirty minutes of a game, mm. and I I will be very honest about it on my episodes that I have not played it all the way through, and that's one of the yeah. you know you always have like I never give that's why one of the reasons I never really give ratings because I feel like to give a rating you should at least have like a decent amount of playthrough of a game. I'm not saying you have to beat it because you know mm-hmm. if if you play if you hate a game after after 10 hours in 30 hours in is it going to change your opinion on it you know what i mean most of the time yeah most of the time most of the time yeah <laughs> i guess it depends on the game but i just never have time anymore yeah so that's just like my main takeaway from chrono trigger is that this game is so focused it is compact it's not it doesn't feel like it's too short mm-hmm. it just it feels right and I'll get into that in a little bit. What about you, man? What's some general kind of opening thoughts about Chrono Trigger before we dive into it? What sold me on this game was how different the 
battle mechanics were compared to other JRPGs that came out at the time. Mm-hmm. And I say this as someone who's not, who doesn't proclaim to be an expert on RPGs or JRPGs, but just from my observations of the other games that came out around this time, you know, Final Fantasy VI came out a couple years prior to this. Um, Breath of Fire was coming out around this time, the original Breath of Fire games. And a lot of times the battle systems were still based on uh, random encounters. A lot of times mm-hmm. the battle systems really, you can just, uh, <laughs> to use a wow term, you can just tank and spank most of the enemies in, <laughs> in JRPGs. In, like Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VII, and I love that. I love not having to think all that much. Final Fantasy X was actually the first one that in, of me pl- go, playing through JRPGs where I actually had to use like different like buffs and debuff spells in order to survive uh, a, mm-hmm. an encounter. It was specifically the Seymour boss on that gave me a lot of issues, but that's obviously a different game. And mm-hmm. what sticks <laughs> out to me with Chrono Trigger is that beside it doesn't have random encounters, which is really it, it's done bizarrely well for such an old game. There is, there is a, a drawback to it, which we'll get to. Um, to the, to the way they, they do their kind of battle encounters. But I like that. And then I also like that they gave away through the game mechanics to make it feel like these characters actually have camaraderie. A lot of times in JRPGs or just in games in general, you, when you have a group, you, when you have your party, um, they all fight together and that's the thing building camaraderie. Mm-hmm. But in this one, it literally, they literally have abilities that, are borderline necess- a necessity in order to beat certain bosses. And I'm not going to mm-hmm. say it is a necessity. Like if you're good enough, you can do it. But like it highly encourages the player to use the dual abilities. The the well, they're called dual techs, and we'll get into all the tech mechanics in a bit, I guess. But it, it definitely encourages the characters or the player, excuse me, to try out the different dual techs. And triple text even, because you can use one, you can use text with all three characters, all three party mm-hmm. members. And it encourages you to mix and match all those party members. And I think I remember seeing your outline, something that I didn't know is that your, the levels of the characters are all automatic level. They all gain experience at the same rate, whether they're in the party or not. Um, mm-hmm. the only thing they don't get is the tech points, which get you those new tech abilities. And that's really cool because we, one of the biggest, you know, hindrances in some other RPGs is that when you don't have a party member in your party, they don't gain levels. So it kind of like if you if you go through a long section of the game with a certain party, it almost discourages you from trying out the other characters because they're mm-hmm. all so underleveled. Since this all keeps it on the same level, same like the the same playing field, the same it keeps the playing field level. It lets the player, it encourages the player to try out all the different characters, which in turn gives them all this new tech and these new abilities that you can try out. And like the tech trees in this, with all the individual dual techs and triple techs, they're just it's huge. There's so many of them. Yeah. So. Let's uh, let's take a music break and we'll just continue right on this uh, conversation here talking about just this main thing that I think makes it stand out.
again, what I think makes Chrono Trigger a special game in in the JRPG landscape is just how focused and compact it is. So, like I said, 20 to 25 hour runtime. If you play the full game, Josh, like you said earlier, you can go fight the final boss anytime, and it, it does have a a new game plus cycle to support doing that. Yeah, I was going to say you need the new game plus in order to do that, in order to yeah. fight the boss at any time. Mhm. Um like you said, there are no random encounters even on the JRPG overworld, which like now that I think about it playing, you know, one of the Super Nintendo Final Fantasy games, how many hours do you spend just doing random encounters mm-hmm. on the overworld? So much so much time. Not in Chrono Trigger. Uh, there are six characters. I mean, I want to compare this to Final Fantasy VI because they came out really closely together, you know, a year or two max apart from each other, right? Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VI, I think, is a fantastic game. Final Fantasy VI has 75 fucking characters in it. <laughs> and Chrono Trigger has six, and there's one optional character. So again, focus. Um, the characters have set progression paths, it is not a game where you can customize what your characters are doing. And for as much as people love customizing in games, Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VII, stuff like that. I, a lot of times, like when I get to a game and it's like infinite customization, I get overwhelmed. And so when, when I play a game with like Chrono Trigger or Pokemon, for example, where you, you level up and you get new moves at certain levels and that's what you get. I enjoy that. I like that. It's it's just, I can just sit back and relax and play the game and that's Chrono Trigger does that. It kind of gets rid of the min-maxing thing that a lot of players will do or the God, worry about min-maxing yeah. trying to get the the most amount of power out of your characters and instead it instead of it focusing on the stats of the characters it very much focuses on the characters' relationships to each other in battle and it kind of mm-hmm. like because there's so few characters, they all feel fully fleshed out. Like if you look at like Final Fantasy VI, which is, you know, it's a fantastic JRPG. It's a fa- fantastic game. But like, do you really give a shit about Mog or Maro or anything? Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, like in, in this, every character, even the characters that you can skip and we'll get to the reasons why I believe probably when we hit the spoiler wall. Mm hmm. They all serve a purpose. Even if you choose not to get the one character, they still serve a purpose. And each of the side quests in the game are used to reinforce the character's story. It's used, it's used to elaborate further on the character's story. And I think that's what's, like you said, the, the narrow focus of it is really smart because it not only does it allow you to f- allow the developers to fully flesh out the characters with the story, it also allows the player to only have to focus on a handful of characters and really get to know them. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of fat on this game. And Final Fantasy VI is another good comparison there. Like, I think that that might be my favorite JRPG ever, but there are a handful of characters that if I played the game tomorrow and they weren't in the game at all, I wouldn't miss them. <laughs> you wouldn't <And> even notice. <laughs> I, yeah. Would I really notice if Realm wasn't in that game? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> so I just really enjoy this kind of narrow focus. You you mentioned side quests. A lot of mm-hmm. games throw tens, hundreds of side quests at you. Chrono Trigger has like seven side quests in the whole game. You know, in the 
scope or in the the JRPG landscape, I think it's a pretty special thing when I can look at a JRPG and be like, yeah, I can definitely play this. I can definitely see most or all of what the game has to offer. And I'm not going to have to spend time grinding. I'm not going to have to spend time going through, you know, tons and tons of random encounters. Like you said, a lot of games, you get new characters, they don't level up when they're not with the party. So I'm just wasting time. It's why I can't go back and play old Pokemon games, Mm -hmm. catch a new Pokemon, got to spend an hour grinding it up before it can actually fight things. It's just like, I mean, I have a lot of free time. I'm not going to lie but I don't have unlimited free time. I want to like play the game, you know? Mm -hmm. So Chrono Trigger just gets right to that game. And I think something that I think we should also clear up with this is just because it's narrowly focused doesn't mean it has, it doesn't mean it does not have a lot of depth. Um, Mm -hmm. There is a lot of really strong attention to detail moments. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, but they have a, there's a lot of attention to detail given. That's a better way to say it mm-hmm. to how the game um interacts with the different timelines. So there like without going into any specific spoilers, there's time travel in this game and there are things that you can do in one time period that will affect things in other time periods and you can mm-hmm. do certain things and like there's certain story elements that are required for you to progress the story that involves that but there's even just like minor things that you can do and then you can kind of find more more of the story out through these very through exploring the different ages and you learn more about different characters that way and there's um just there's there's a lot of depth in there because because it doesn't make you do random encounters it kind of gives you the freedom to explore without the fear of having to be stopped every two seconds it's such a good point like i can't tell you how many times in it especially in a jrpg where it's like you know i have two paths (laughs) in front of me i bet you if i go down that one path there's going to be some treasure but I'm going to have to fight four random battles on that path. And do I want to do that? Probably not. And, or like this side quest wants me to backtrack and go to another place across the map. Mm -hmm. And I don't have my airship yet or whatever. So I'm going to have to just trudge through random battles to get back there. And a lot of times, like, you know, I'm going back, I'm doing it, but in my head, I'm thinking like, man, this fucking sucks. But in Chrono Trigger, it's just all that friction is just taken away. You could even make the argument like, how often did you lose out on part of the game of the experience that the game offers because you would see something off in the distance and be like, "There's going to be too many battles to get over there. I don't feel like dealing with that, and it doesn't seem interesting enough for me to warrant that amount of effort just to get over to this area." Mm-hmm. I, I, this, it reminds me. So I when I the first time I played through Final Fantasy VIII, I actually played through it with a strategy guide, and I actually think that it made that experience a lot more enjoyable for me. No, no, no shade against <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII; it's actually one of my favorites. But I genuinely wonder if I would have as like le- legit. I'm more nostalgic over Final Eight than Final Seven or Final Nine. Like I enjoyed playing Final Eight more than those others. But I honestly mm-hmm. wonder if I would have if I didn't have the strategy guide to help me cut through all the bullshit that that game has. Now, to bring it back to the random encounters and back to Chrono Trigger, in Final Fantasy VIII, there is a moment, there's a there's a like this deep sea research laboratory where there is, I think it's where you get Bahamut. I think it's where you get the Bahamut summon. And 
it has an, a heightened encounter rate in the room with Bahamut in it. And the strategy guide even gives you a way to combat that heightened encounter rate, whether it's using like some type of potion or spell to like lower it. Or I think you're in like, it's almost like a lighthouse, like there's a flashing light. And if you move when the light doesn't flash or when it does flash, I forget which it is, the then enemies won't spawn or the encounter rate severely thinks. So you have to literally go like... slowly moving across the the level in these short little bursts and just timing it with the light so you don't get into a thousand different fights right beforehand it's insane and chrono trigger gets away with like does away with all that i remember even playing Mm -hmm. it last night on stream where i could just skip entire sections i'm not like i could just run through a room and see all the enemies but if you're good with your controls you can dodge them all yeah, the the enemies are shown on the screen and you can dodge them. It's Earthbound had characters on the screen too, but they're really hard to dodge because they're way faster than you are. Yes. But in Chrono Trigger, you're either the same speed or you're faster than them, so not that hard. And a lot of enemies just don't respawn in this game. So that's also very cool. Like there's a there's a forest that you have to go through to get to this uh, this castle, and you go through this forest like 25 times in the game, and the enemies don't respawn in the forest, at least in a couple of time periods, as far as I remember. Oh. So when you're going through, it's frictionless. Like you're not going through the forest for this challenge of making it through this dangerous forest. It's literally just like I have to get to this castle for the 15th time. I don't want to spend a bunch of time fighting stuff in there and you don't have to now from my experience is that you do have to fight them every time every time well hold on actually no if they if you leave and uh if you leave a lot of times if you go two screens away like two loading screens away whatever that may be that's when the enemies respawn but even so with that forest i i think i feel like I, when i was playing it last night they respond as soon as i left but even so if you play through that forest enough you memorize where the enemy spawn and how they spawn and you can mm-hmm. run around them and it's not hard like i did it by accident a few times just by hugging the corner of a wall so like it, they don't mm-hmm. make it completely impossible for you to figure out the pattern of the enemy spawning and you being able to dodge them now the issue with this uh the one of the issues with this which i don't hate but i i consider it a flaw even though it doesn't bother me if that makes sense is that when you do mm-hmm. start an encounter with an enemy you are the positioning of your characters and in the enemies is actually important to the battle because if the enemies are aren't grouped together you can't do aoe attacks and that's frustrating because you have no agency over your character or ways to move the enemies to where you want them to be um there is some minor stuff there are some enemies that can punch your character across the screen which honestly a lot of times kind of helps because then they can't do aoe stuff on you um <laughs> so it's it's not necessarily like the most fair like that's why i say it's kind of a flaw because if you're going to make position positioning important where uh, the positions of your characters the positions of the enemies but you give the player no agency and the ability to manipulate those positions it's kind of weird yeah but at the same time even though they don't do that they don't make it 
necessity that you have to be able to have good positioning to win. In fact, positioning almost always doesn't matter. It's just more, it's more of like, this is nice when it happens. It's almost like a little treat, you know, like, oh, these enemies are bunched up. I can do an AOE attack and get this fight over quicker. So we can just talk about the combat now, since we're on the topic. I agree with you. I don't love the combat in this game. It's, it's fine. It's not bad. And it's not, um, it's not boring because for a lot of enemies, you, you don't need to use your best stuff, but like, I, I feel like tapping a and getting through it is only possible or only like economical, I guess would be a better word for like the lowest of low stuff. Like for a lot of stuff, you should use your spells and, you know, Mm -hmm. you figure out enemies have weaknesses and I'm going to use, uh, you know, use the stuff that they're weak to some enemies. Like, you know, if you shock them, they'll get paralyzed and they won't be able to attack stuff like that keeps you engaged more than, you know, a lot of, well, I'll say a lot of older JRPGs when you could just like tap A through the entire thing. <laughs> like I was saying, I just tank and spank every enemy in Final Fantasy VI and Seven. Yeah, tank and spank. I forgot the terminology there. Yeah, <laughs> but I I do agree because you have I do agree with the like the positioning thing. I don't love it that positioning matters, but you can't do anything about it. I think to to kind of reference something you just said, how it kind of keeps you more engaged. I very much agree with that because I was thinking about this in a combination of with the active time battle that you can choose. You can either do a weight battle system or an active time battle system. Um, you can, by by doing that active time battle, it kind of makes you have to prioritize like, all right, this enemy just attacked, which means the other enemy is going to attack sooner than the one that just did. So maybe I should prioritize that one. And Mm -hmm. then you can also be like, well, can I hit it with an AOE and knock out both of them at the same time? It kind of forces you to make uh, plans a little bit faster on the fly. Um, And I kind of like that. Now, maybe if you played on the weight battle system and you don't have that active time element, then that that kind of urgency goes away. But I, at least with the ATB version of it, I really enjoyed that. And it made, uh, what was it? The one boss that I beat uh, in the, in the year 3000 in the future. And without going in any spoilers on to what it was or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, it, It was one of those ones where, you it has like two little robots that off to the side and it does that's how it primarily attacks so if you can take out those robots then it has to spend a couple turns charging up to re to bring those robots back so you want to focus in on those robots so you're trying to figure out like um timing with everything so when when you see the main the the main enemy robot like reach almost done recharging and the two small ones are about to come back i i would always hold up i would wait until my atb for all three characters are full and then i would just unleash on the one to hopefully kill it within one cycle as opposed to having to wait for everyone's turns to go on yeah so when i played this on the phone i thought that the atb system was too fast and i i, I really that. think I really think it's just, you know, a touchscreen works most of the time, but it's so much less precise than using a D-pad and buttons. And so, again, like, I did not like the ATB system when I played on my phone, and when I played on the DS, I played on the ATB system, and I liked it way more than the weight system. Um, Because I think the weight system makes it easier, but it does take away a lot of the 
kind of engagement, like that hurry up, what's my next move type thing that that's what, if you like ATB, that's, I feel like that's what you like about it. It's that like my bar is filling. I have to be ready to take my move, know exactly what I want to do when that bar fills up. Mm -hmm. If I don't, I'm wasting time. And then the enemy can then attack me. Right. Yeah. So I liked that um, ATB system when I played on the DS. And you mentioned earlier, you mentioned those uh, kind of buddy up attacks. They call them mm-hmm. a dual and triple techs. So as your characters fight in battles together, like they get experience together in the same battle, they will get um, these moves where they team up and this becomes like early and like midway through the game. I feel like these are kind of cool, almost optional things because your spells are really good. But by the end of the game, these are like necessary. Like you, you have to have these, especially triple text built up. And for a while, it's like, it, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, the, the triple tech does 900 damage my three individual attacks do 300 damage each. So why would I not do my three attacks? Mm-hmm. Why would I save up for it? But by the end, the triple techs get so good that you you almost have to. And I'm glad you brought up earlier how it's like a mechanical kind of expression of the characters growing together throughout the story. It's It feels like that. It's almost a storytelling mechanic. It's it, Yeah, it is basically a mechanic to tell more of the story but it it's using gameplay to to tell more about the characters essentially Mm -hmm. yeah and later on when bosses get pretty difficult like i don't think that this game is super hard but it's also it's also not easy like i i looked in a guide for probably the last five hours of the game uh, because bosses like that robot boss you talked about earlier they all have Mm -hmm. gimmicks or tricks. Gimmicks sounds like a bad word. They all have tricks. They are they are all little puzzles, basically. They make you figure out a new strategy for each one. It's kind mm-hmm. of to to use another WoW analogy. It's kind of like what raid bosses are. Each raid boss has a different mechanic that the group has to figure out how to do. Like one, like I still think of uh, what is it? Uh, did you play WoW at all by any chance? No, never. No. Okay, so <laughs> there is a. There's a boss in I the when I played the most was in the Wrath of Lich King expansion and there's a boss in a dun in a raid called Naxxramas or Nax for short and what it did was it dropped it essentially had these little like fart puddles that it would drop out behind it and you had to stay out of those puddles but because it constantly keeps dropping the fart things you would have to. <laughs> If you kept it all in the same spot, those things would keep expanding and it would eventually kill your whole party. Essentially, it would fill the whole room with a fart and it would kill your whole party. Mm-hmm. So the the tank would have to guide it around the room slowly. So that way it would disperse it. It would, it would, <laughs> it was, uh, what, oh my God, I'm fucking blanking on the expression for it. Cro- so it's essentially crop dusting <laughs> around the room and, so that way, the, those little like poison clouds wouldn't fill up the whole room. So he has to go around, and then you, as the rest of the team, have to um, keep on moving with the tank and kind of keep moving backwards. 
and Chrono Trigger is a lot simpler version of that. It kind of reminds me of it in the sense where each boss has some type of puzzle and some type of mechanic that forces you to think a little bit differently, but not too differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just enough where you have to try something different, but it's never that far off from something that you're already comfortable with, if that makes sense. Yeah, so the bosses are not as complicated as what you just described, for sure, but it it does stop you from just hammering your best attacks all the time. Like, you have to pay attention to what the boss is doing. It's I, I think of the the first boss in final fantasy six that's in the, you know, the, in like the snail shell. And when it's mm-hmm. in its shell, you can't attack it or it will wipe yes. you out. Mm-hmm. And those kind of very simple things, but they get you thinking about what to do. So I end up feeling pretty positive about a lot of the bosses here. There's a lot of bosses in the game that are like joke, easy bosses too, that are very, mm-hmm. they, they fit in the story in a fun way uh, sometimes. And, you know, Sometimes you like to go into a boss fight and just wipe the floor with them. It feels good sometimes. And this game makes time for those too. I agree. And I I think that you kind of have to have that balance because you need that sense of accomplishment. Like you need to give the player a sense of empowerment. And by letting you kind of wipe the floor with a boss easily, it it gives a player a sense to be like, look how far I've come. Like, look what Mm -hmm. I've been able to do with my with my party and with my team. Yep. A lot of people complain about Dark Souls 2 uh, in that way because Dark Souls 2 has like 75 bosses and a lot of them are extremely easy. And people are like, this is what this sucks. It's so easy. I'm like, man, I'll take an easy boss fight. Like, what's wrong with you? Enjoy. You know, you beat the shit out of it. Enjoy it. Especially I dude, I can't even get past Dark Souls 1. (laughs) I I I I have I have (laughs) opinions on that. You've you've heard some of my opinions. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. We've talked a little bit about that. Yeah. We've talked pretty extensively. <laughs> so I, I kind of come away from this combat system feeling like it's fine. It, it's it's interesting at times. The boss fights are generally pretty fun and um, get you thinking a little bit. It's, I don't know, I'm not a huge fan of the ATB system in general. I get a little bit stressed out. I like to really plan out my moves. So like my favorite turn-based combat systems are almost never atb systems they're like yeah traditional turn-based like final fantasy 10 darkest dungeon stuff like that but as far as the atb stuff goes in chrono trigger it's just fine i was never like you know i was never bored by it and in jrpg combat that's a real danger sometimes yeah it definitely is because with with how grindy jrpgs can be it's very important to get combat to be fun and satisfying. And that can be difficult for something that for all intents and purposes is just menus. You're just mm-hmm. s- scrolling through menus and you get a little visual gimmick from it. Um, I think what really made this game like truly impressive to me was the text. Like I'm looking at the list of all the different texts and it's just incredible. Like most of the characters have at least seven to eight different texts. So those are individual special moves that cost MP. Um, that also could be spells. It could be, um, like, uh, for, we'll just go with Kronos, for example. His base one is called Cyclone, which is like a AOE type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have Wind Slash, which hits all enemies with a, a within a line. It, it does a, a wave, like a line wave straight across the screen. So once yeah. again, positioning is kind of important. I found that one kind of meh because 
it didn't cost all that much, but it was the likelihood of hitting multiple enemies was a lot lower because you can't really manipulate positioning all that well. Um, mm-hmm. You have cleave, you have lightning one and two, you have raise, which is essentially just bring like bringing someone back to life. It's like a Phoenix down, whatever uh, mm-hmm. frenzy, which confuses the enemies or has a chance to confuse the enemies. And then luminaire, which is attacks all enemies with holy light. So yeah. that's just with Chrono and each character of the out of the seven characters, you know, six outside of Chrono have at least that many or about that many. And then you start combining them. So, for example, Chrono and Luca have one of my favorite ones is the fire world where it takes Luca's fire and Chrono's cyclone and does an AOE fire attack. But I mean, you can mm-hmm. do that with other things. You can do that with a healing spell chrono and marley or marl how do you pronounce the name i pronounce it marl but this is a this is the classic jrpg thing where they, there's no voice acting so everyone's <laughs> just kind of guessing my meryl yeah. um so but she has healing spells and she can do you can turn the aoe sword attack and with the healing spell and it heals your allies which is kind of weird because you're just you're smacking your friends with a sword in order to heal them it's a little uh-huh. strange but you get the <laughs> idea and so there's like elemental swords and whatnot but then there's also like if you don't do elemental attacks um chrono and the character frog can do a cross slash across called the x strike and it's like mm-hmm. this super powerful like uh striking attack uh, there's just so many different things and it's not just chrono that can do these attacks like there is um for example uh the antipode bomb marley and luca or marl and luca combine together with an ice and fire bomb that hits all the enemies within a certain range with ice and fire or shadow damage as it says on the wiki here so mm-hmm. like it it encourages you to play with different characters because the only way you gain these tech abilities is by getting tech points and you can only get tech points in battle so Characters will get experience even when they're not in battle, but they won't get tech points when they're not in battle. Right. And I actually didn't know that until you, I saw it on your outline and you described it. So you, it encourages the player to try a bunch of different characters because then you can actually see all the different tech names. And I'm curious. I'm going to try to copy and paste the wiki into an Excel sheet and see if it actually keeps the table. <laughs> and then I can tell you exactly how many double texts there are. Holy shit. It worked. Okay. There's 45 different double techs between mm-hmm. all the different characters. And then that's just for, like I said, that's just the double techs. If you add the triple ones, that's even more. And there's triple techs involving Chrono and triple techs not involving Chrono. Yeah. And it really kind of allows the player to kind of choose how they like want to craft their party, what types of elemental uh users do they want to use it do they want to have in here what type of physical damage do they want to do it's it's really impressive by using all these different tech abilities it kind of allows you to mix and match a lot more in a lot more fun way than just saying like all right i have my black mage and i have my white mage and i have my warrior here we go Mm -hmm. it's now like well i have all these characters but now the black mage and the warrior can do stuff together now the white mage and the black mage can combine their magic and do something together I, i really enjoy that yeah it's it's definitely fun and it's definitely more engaging than the traditional you know black mage uses faraga the white mage heals and then someone's doing physical attacks or whatever something Mm -hmm. like that it's a little bit more engaging and like you said it fits in with the story just fine so we started to talk about the characters and how they work together 
So let's uh, let's listen to some music and then get into the story. So in Chrono Trigger, this game takes place in a, a world that seems kind of Earth-like. Um, takes place across many time periods, which you may have uh, heard us reference earlier in the episode. And all of your characters come from different time periods uh, in this game, which I think is cool. It it allows them to, like, they have things in common, but some of them are extremely different and they come from extremely mm-hmm. different backgrounds. And when the characters get to know each other and if, especially if you choose to do the side quests down the road, you really get to see, you know, what life was like for some of them in these different time periods that they come from. And I think that this group is mostly really good. There's one character that I think is the worst I'm very curious who that will be when we get to the spoiler wall. <laughs> I, I don't think that's a super spoiler, but you, your oh, main okay. character is Chrono, spelled C-R-O-N-O, uh, because they didn't have enough spaces to spell out his full name. I guess in so. The game. Uh, Localization back in those days, you know. Chrono looks like a Dragon Ball Z character because, uh, you know, the Dragon Ball artist uh, was Kiritoriyama. the one doing the art. Yeah. And... um the artwork uh, looks good. The sprites look good uh, for the characters. Everyone looks super distinct. Uh, talk about that in a little bit. The game begins with Chrono uh, going to a festival to celebrate the turn of a new millennium. Uh, Chrono meets a woman named Marl, who I always pronounce it that way. The two of them uh, try out a teleporter <laughs> made by Chrono's friend Luca uh, because why not? What could go wrong trying out a, a now, you know, a. <laughs> It teleporter <laughs> prototype, you know? This isn't even the finished mm-hmm. product. <laughs> what could go wrong? Now, what I like, though, about the, the, the Millennium Fair is that if you notice, there's a lot... It kind of does a little bit of foreshadowing in the sense that all of... Or not, I should say all. I, was, I, I noticed it literally earlier today I was thinking about. It. I don't know if this was intentional or not, but all of the time periods that you go to are represented in this fair if you go over to the top right there is a prehistoric period of people doing a bunch of dances if you go over to the left side you fight this robo guy who by the way we'll get to the music later has one of the fucking best tracks in the entire uh-huh. game in my opinion <laughs> but he kind of seems to me a little bit like the future because there's a lot of robots in the future and we're going to get to the story reasons i don't know if that's pre or post spoiler wall i'll i'll trust you to guide us through that mm-hmm. and i forget all of the different times that you can go to i believe there's there's also like you have it's like the year 1000 in the current time and then you do go back in history like i think a couple like the year 700 i think you go back like 300 years 
Um, so you kind of have that already incorporated just because you are still the same kingdom. Um, mm-hmm. And you have the prehistoric, you have the future. And I think, there, isn't there one other time? Isn't there one other time period? There's like the prehistoric where like there's dinosaurs and shit. And then there's like, there's I th- it, just off the top of my head, I think there's like 600, like 1000 or 1200, something like that. Then there's like 2000 and then there's like far future. I know while we're talking, I'll look it up um, just to make sure we don't leave no stone unturned. But I did um, find it interesting that a lot of the time periods were represented in the in the Millennium Fair. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Okay, here we go. 65 million BC, 12,000 BC, 600 AD, which is the the first period you go back into. Mm-hmm. 1000 AD is the current time. Um then it's 2300 AD is the 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 far future that we're talking mm-hmm. about with the robots and whatnot. And there is 1999 AD, but that's more shown in a cutscene and we I don't want to say what happened in 1999 AD cuz that's right. spoiler wall territory. <laughs> 1990, in 1999 AD, Dr. Dre released his uh, classic album, uh, Chronic 2001. <laughs> that's, that's, who that happens who in would the have thought they would have, they would have seen this coming in Chrono Trigger? You know? yeah, who, exactly. would have, who would have thought that? I'm amazed Dr. Dre didn't sue them for somehow uh, taking all their, his music a couple years prior and uh, putting it <laughs> in the game. You know, It's just crazy. You meet a lot of characters uh, throughout the game. So Chrono and Marl get teleported they they're at this fair Mm -hmm. using this teleporter uh marl gets lost however because uh you know you shouldn't be fucking around with random teleporters at the fair i mean to be fair she didn't know it was gonna happen true but i mean again it is a teleporter prototype at the fair i mean think about the machines that are happening at the at your local fair now i wonder hold on when you played did Chrono test it out beforehand? Yes, I believe so. Chrono, because Marl has a lock, an amulet on, and that causes her to get transported in time. So, so it's so she's not that dumb for doing it because, like, if Chrono did it and saw you saw it worked, it's like she saw the evidence right in front of her. Sure, it's it's just a questionable group decision for an activity at the <laughs> fair. That's all I'm saying. I, I mean, judging <laughs> judging by the the technology at my local fair. Not a chance I would try that. So <laughs> You end up on like the Gravitron or something. Now the dominoes are falling. So the, the game story takes you through many time periods, as Josh listed earlier. Uh, you're joined by other characters, such as Frog, who is one of my favorite JRPG characters uh, of all time. Uh, Robo, who has the theme uh, that is the Rick Astley uh, song, Never Gonna Give You Up, basically. Wait, really? Yeah, if you hear them I, I side by side, that. it's uh, it's not the um, it's not the vocal melody, but it's like the the backing music is like almost exactly the same. Huh, so I'll play a okay, little side okay. by side so everyone can hear that right now.
it's really good though. It's it's a really good theme. And uh, the other character of note is uh, Ayla, who is a tribal warrior from the past, and she's the worst. I am sick of caveman, <laughs> cavewoman characters who don't, you know, they have that uh, me no English speak good grammar. Uh, what you don't Ayla like? Gal game, from Final Six. Gal in Final Fantasy. Fuck Gal. Like I'm <laughs> sick of these characters, and I'm glad that like in the year 2022 jrpgs don't have these characters anymore thank god (laughs) i'm kind of actually with you on the on the caveman character trope it's just it's not fun because it feels like half of the game is just or half the dialogue between them is just them not understanding context because understandably so for them for them as a character they don't know any better they don't they haven't seen anything like this um so i i understand that from a character perspective but it's not fun from a player slash you know if you're watching a movie or game from a viewer perspective like it's just it's more of a it's 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 one of those things it kind of reminds me of a similar problem where the audience knows more than the characters in a movie. It's like if you see a mystery happening and the audience already knows the answer to the mystery, it's infuriating watching the character go through it, especially if there's no stakes to solving the mystery. Mm-hmm. She's just very much like uh, me, Ayla, me strong, me fight, me have sex. I mean, she doesn't well, say that, but her her dialogue is dancing around. She's like, me, you, Chrono, make strong baby. You know, it's a bunch of... <laughs> Uh, it's i hate it anyway we're on this quest through time i i I don't want to say really anything else about the story but how do you feel about like the story of chrono trigger is it is it an enjoyable ride did you enjoy the characters you know together and stuff like that i did enjoy the story overall it's been a minute since i okay so i emotionally from what i remember of my emotions about the story i remember really enjoying it and replaying what I was able to replay, I really enjoyed replaying. Like I, I, the story kind of drives a little bit. It, like it takes about two hours or so to really hook get get its teeth into you to really like get its hooks on you. But once it does, it really takes off, and it really like it really like hooks you into this world and you want Mm. to see what happens to these characters. So I think the story is told really, really well, and I, I like that it's like a. The slow burn that almost every JRPG starts with isn't that long of a slow burn. It doesn't take that long for the story to really kick off, kick into high Mm -hmm. gear. And I really like that. Yeah. Just like a couple hours into the game, maybe like an hour, hour and a half, like people's lives are starting to be in danger and you're, you know, you're, you should be really into it by then. You've got a good introduction for your first three characters, Chrono, Marlin, Luca, and then, you know, you start get, getting introduced to Frog and uh, Robo. And like, I think those characters are really likable. And so it just, it pulls you through. And I think that some of the stuff in the different time periods that you see, how you see what's going on in the different time periods, I think mm-hmm. some of that stuff is like genuinely like really, really good. I don't think that this story as a whole is like one of the best stories told in video games i think it's all right but i enjoy bits and pieces of it a lot and i like what the final villain is it's not really like i think it's a i don't man i don't know what what's a spoiler this game's like almost 30 years old but like (laughs) well i think i think saying what the final villain is 
is kind of a spoiler sort yeah. of but i think i think what you can say is that the final villain and because we've already kind of alluded to it anyway i think what you can say in the final villain isn't what you think it is like it, it's one of those ones that kind of double does a bit of a double fake and yeah. i'm not going to say and i think the spoiler wall would be explaining what that double fake is so right. we can just leave it at that what i will say about the story is i think there is a moment in the game where uh it's not it's after the it's after we find out who the real villain is mm -hmm. there's a moment in the game that i think the story takes a turn for the worse i think the story is honestly super solid like really 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 good yeah and really emotionally connecting up to a certain point and then in order to uh, i'm trying to say without spoiling anything uh <laughs> in order to continue on from there uh it gets a little bit weaker but in a in a sense it's kind of in service of the game itself and i will i think we have to wait for the spoiler wall to explain why it's in service of the game it 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 lends the best way i can describe it is that actually no here we go at that certain point where the story takes a turn for the worse it's kind of in service of the multiple endings that we talked about before it's kind of it, it kind of gives the player the ability at that one specific moment without saying what that one specific moment is to choose multiple different endings from there now it's not mm -hmm. all of the possible endings from that moment it's kind of like like looking at the timeline of all the different endings there is literally an ending 1a 1b 1c 1d and 1e that to me that shows that there is like a handful and there's even like a a, a bad ending that you can get so like you can get a good there's like five different versions of the nor of the original good ending and then a bad ending. So you have all of those options right from the get go, right from that one moment. Mm -hmm. And while that's really cool for the mechanic of the multiple endings, it kind of makes it take a hit on the story. And I would say that's a good way to describe it without saying all the spoilers. Yeah, I I definitely think that the first half of the game, the story is very good i'll say like it, it's enjoyable i i enjoy what's going on i enjoy the antagonist and then from 50 to 75 percent of the game i don't like the story that much and then the ending and the and the side quest cleanup i really like the stories that are going on there so it's not like a total success all the time and of course we'll talk about this after the spoiler wall but it could be a killing blow in a game that's not 20 hours long. You know, if this game was 75 mm -hmm. hours long and you spend 20 hours going through story that you don't <laughs> like in this game, it's three hours. Maybe the game is so compact. It's so focused that like, if you don't like what's going on in the story right now, you're going to move past it pretty quickly. So it's, it ends up like not hurting it that much, even though I don't like some of it. Now, what I am curious about is where the story turns for you. Like when we get to the spoiler wall, I'm very curious where the story turns to for you, where you end up not liking it. Oh, yeah. Now, I do think it's also important, something super important to note and something that I fucked up on on my first playthrough. And this will not I'm not going to spoil this. If you, for those who are listening, who have never played this game before. When you get close to the end and you start being able to kind of see the different options for endings that you can get, um, mm -hmm. look up 
look up a strategy guide on how to finish this game for one reason only. There is a way to end this game where you do not get the ability to have a new game plus. Hmm. I I did that on my only playthrough because I <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil as I, I can't say why because I would be a, a spoiler, but I fucked it up. And because I fucked it up, I couldn't go. I didn't have a new game plus option and I did not understand why. And then I had to look up the reason why online and be like, hmm. are you serious? So I would have. And I think all my save files were past the point that I could correct the mistake. Oh, no. So, yeah. Speaking of things where you need to check a guide. So we've mentioned time travel lots of times, and it is like mechanically a part of the game, too. So Mm -hmm. this is a JRPG with like an overworld that you walk on, towns that you go to, houses, shops, dungeons, etc., etc. That stuff changes as you go through the different time periods. And Mm -hmm. there are it's not heavy. You know, we're not getting into like butterfly effect and shit like that, like too heavily. But there are things you can do in the past that affect what's going on in the future, sometimes with side quests, sometimes with the main quest, and sometimes when you're going around and cleaning up treasure. And this is something that, like, I think conceptually is cool, but in practice is a little bit obtuse. Like, and this is one of those things that I wonder about retro games where it's like, I don't have a game manual, and I just wonder if they explained this in the manual Like I'm talking, there's these treasure chests around the world where if you interact with them in the past and take the treasure, that's cool. You get a treasure, but if you interact with them and it asks you, do you want to open the treasure? If you say no, and then go back to the future and open that chest, you get a better treasure. And there's just no fucking way for me to figure that out by myself. And so the first time I played that, I got all the treasure and then I was like looking at a guide and it's like, go make sure to go clean up those treasures that you refused to open earlier. And I was like, what are they talking about? And I just wonder if this is something that's in a manual, but a lot of retro games give me stuff like this where it's like, they don't explain it in the game. It's real iffy on whether I'm going to figure it out by myself. And then I miss out on something cool because of something that seems, you know, obtuse so i i just kind of this time travel stuff some of it's cool in theory like only a little bit bit of it is actually really cool in practice like i think the side quest stuff is pretty good with that but Mm -hmm. with the going around and cleaning up treasure i wasn't really a fan of uh this i would actually have to disagree at least on the obtuseness of it i i well okay sorry no it is obtuse but i don't think that's a bad thing in this specific instance because it's not a core mechanic of the game you Mm -hmm. don't need these awesome weapons in order to like do really well it's not like you're you're going it's not like you're going to miss out on some other great weapon or some other great item it's just super handy and and even if it's like an epic weapon, like the best weapon for a specific character, like I don't, th- I think having elements like that add a little bit of mystery to games, which I think is important because one of the things that's so hard to replicate as an adult is the wonder and the whimsy that you experience, the whimsy that you experience <laughs> as a kid when you play a game for the first time, you know, like. Mm-hmm. 
I remember the first time I ever saw Mario on a screen and I was like, holy shit. Well, I didn't say holy shit as a kid, but holy shit. It's a cartoon that I can control. Are, what's happened? Like you don't get that, those experience. You don't get that emotion anymore as an adult. And I think the only way games are really able to replicate that is by having uh, like well-designed obtuse mechanics and when i say well designed i mean something that is not going to severely negatively impact the player's game experience it's not going to make the gameplay or the gameplay experience that much more difficult for the player like it's it's one of those things where like and if if it is meant to be difficult like like i know you're a big fan of the souls boards games like all the bosses I wouldn't say they're obtuse, but there there is definitely it, there's a challenge to figuring out the pattern. But they at least kind of design around that mechanic, where it kind of encourage like it it doesn't the penalty for death isn't that severe, you know what I mean? Like and you and there's and you're not necessarily going to miss out on anything. And with this, mm-hmm. while there is a chance to miss out on some good items, by them doing this mechanic, it it very much feels to me like one of those things like you years later and be like whoa the game does that you can do that in this game it if like that sense of discovery is so hard to replicate as as an adult when you've played so many games and i feel like this type of mechanic i like because it lends itself to adding that sense of discovery doesn't mean it's going to do it for everybody mind you obviously you didn't enjoy this so it didn't really do it for you but Mm -hmm. i personally i think that um this type of mechanic as long as it's not a like uh, obtrusive and it's not something that completely ruins the experience then i think it's actually good because it adds that extra element of like there's more to this game that you don't know yet and that's exciting i do see the value in like mystery and like sharing experiences and stuff like that it's just not high up on things that i enjoy (laughs) like on this level like yeah yeah. i enjoy going through I enjoyed going through Elden Ring with the community and sharing the stuff that we found and people being like, mm-hmm. whoa, there, you know, that was over there. I had no idea and stuff like that. Like that's that schoolyard feeling, you know, but in this game, it, it's such a it's such a simple thing. And you're right. It's not like a game breaker if you miss out on this, but it, it, it was just like a weird like, why would you not open a treasure chest? Like, this is the only video game in the history of video games where you say no to opening a treasure chest and then come back later. Like, it, it was just like, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm spending too much time on something that is a very small, like, thing. <laughs> but when I was playing this for the first time and I didn't know about this, I was like, that's pretty stupid. Like, I don't. I don't like that. There's no signaling that you should ever say no to opening a chest other than the fact that it asks you, you know, yeah, I was going to say that, yeah, <laughs> that would be like what, uh, like to kind of like what other chests ask you if you're sure you want to open it. Like that should be like some type of weird red flag with that said, I don't think you're wrong for having this opinion either. Like I think it would be, it is, it is a strange choice. Like I'm, as much as I'm defending it because of this, like I'm defending more the idea that you get better items later on, not necessarily defending the way they implemented it, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't think you're completely off base with the idea that it's strange that they did it this way. 
Um, because yeah, players are gonna miss this. I mean, you missed it. I don't think I even knew about this to be honest. So I probably missed it the first time mm-hmm. I played it. Uh, so but yeah, we don't we don't have to spend too much more time on it. But it it is something. It's an interesting subversion of something that you're used to. That is true. Like in, in a game that doesn't have a lot of mechanical twists, I guess. Like this traveling through time finding stuff remembering where stuff was then going back to it in a later time period and stuff like that like all of that is pretty cool in theory and uh, like i said earlier it, it may not have worked for me with the side quest or with the treasure hunting but with the side quests later on i actually did really enjoy that and like you know you do something in one time period then you come back to that place in the future and something has happened and i this is again it's not like a butterfly effect to the maximum but there are parts in the game where it is you know it's in there so i did enjoy that i do think that the the turning point in the story that we were talking about about how you know it gets to the point where it's really good up into a point and then it kind of goes downhill i think where the game makes up for it and you already referenced it is that instead of focusing on the overall story like the overarching story the primary plot of the game it then allows the players to explore these smaller individual, much a little bit more intimate stories of the characters. You get a lot more intimate view into these characters' lives, and that's kind of where its strength is in the second part of the game is because you get to learn more about these characters. Now, you played this more recently than I did, so I don't remember a lot of these side the, these storylines, these side quests. So uh, when we do hit the spoiler wall, if there's any that stick out to you, I'd love to hear some of your favorites uh, Oh, yeah, for sure. And they they go to varying like depths, like a couple of the characters have long, detailed, like deep side quests and like story arcs. And then there's Ayla, who is a big, strong cave woman, you know, so not much really going on Mm -hmm. there. But there is uh, there is some stuff that I like with some of the other characters. So as you've heard uh, throughout this episode, the music from Chrono Trigger is fantastic. I mean, like, I like to play JRPGs with podcasts, uh, number one, Mm -hmm. because there are so many people making great podcasts, I don't have enough time to listen to them. So if I'm playing a game that's not demanding all of my senses, you know, I'll throw on a Mm -hmm. podcast and listen. You can't, I couldn't do that in Chrono Trigger because the music is so goddamn good. Like I had to listen to it. <laughs> the The soundtrack is considered one of the best of all time for free, for good reason. Like besides mm-hmm. the fact that you mentioned the two big heavy hitters, uh, Yoshinori Mitsuda and, uh, oh, sorry, Yasunori Mitsuda, excuse me, and Nobuo Uematsu, like they really just knocked it out of the fucking park in this sound. Like the, 
there's I can between like the the victory theme uh, or Chronos theme and Frog's theme and uh I really love um not Robo the the character that you get but the Robo uh in the Millennium Fair that you can fight for silver points. Oh, I okay. Love his so that dun 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 dun. It's I I I don't know if I even did that correctly, but it's so good. Like it the I think one of my favorite tracks of the whole album and is or the whole soundtrack and the whole in the whole game is actually the Guardia Forest theme, the forest in between the castle and the town of truce where you start out in. And mm-hmm. it's it's that it's that forest you referenced before where you travel back and forth through it so many freaking times. But for some reason, I just truly love that that music in there. It's very um it's so atmospheric. It really it's kind of haunting. But it a lot of times when games make at, have atmospheric music, there's no melody to it. But this song mm-hmm. has a melody and it's yeah, really, totally. really strong. And it's just, it's very, it's almost a therapeutic song. Um, one last track I want to shout out before, before I, uh, get off my little music soapbox here is the soundtrack. It's called Corridors of Time and it's in the Kingdom of Zeal, which will, that's, uh, spoiler wall territory of where yeah, that is and that's how for that, later. But yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Um, if you all want to hear a really good rendition of it, have you, have you ever heard of Smooth McGroove, Dave? No. He did a cover of this song. Um, he did a, yeah, he did the Zeal theme Carters of Time, and it is so good. He uploaded it like nine years ago, but it's really, really good. After we're done recording, I'll send it to you. I think it's a really good version of this. Um, yeah, at the time of we're recording this, he, his last upload was 11 months ago. So it's, it, he's, he, comes on and off he does a bunch of music then he'll take a break and then he'll do some more music and then take a break but um his rend- his rendition of it he does acapella versions of video game music where he you know does all the different sounds it's, it's really impressive but um i really like this this song as well i think that's a highlight for me yeah a couple that i think are really good um i like the opening like when you first boot up the game, the th- the theme that plays over the opening cinematic is like one of my favorites. I think it's probably like the main theme of the game. Um, I like the overworld music, at least in, I think it changes, but the one in like Chrono's home time period, when you first start the game, the one mm-hmm. that's do, 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 that one. Fantastic. <laughs> and the battle theme. <laughs> Yes. Is one of my favorite JRPG battle themes. It has this sweet, I'm a bass player. So anytime there's like a very prominent bass line, I'm like, fuck yeah. Thank you. Finally, somebody. And this battle <laughs> someone theme gets has it. One. Someone gets it. It's real good. So like the, the music is, we've shouted out a couple that we think are great, but like wall to wall, the music is really good. And this, um, I kind of teased a story about uh, Mitsuda earlier, and I, you know, I was reading about this. I think, you know, people talk about Chrono Trigger. I think this is a kind of well-known story, but in case you don't know, Mitsuda, this was like, I believe the first game uh, he worked on, and he worked, basically worked so hard, probably, you know, partly his own drive, but also probably drive uh, given by other people too, worked himself so hard that he 
developed stomach ulcers and had to pass mm-hmm. it off to have the soundtrack finished by Uematsu. I heard about that. Yeah. It, it's crazy. Like there's, there's like anecdotes about him, like being in like these, you know, he passing out from just sheer exhaustion and then waking up and be like, I know what the theme is going to be. And then like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> composing the theme for the song, like in this, like haze, you know, sleeping a couple hours a day, stuff like that. So like, I don't know. People talk about crunch culture these days for good reason. We should be talking about it, of course. But like these games in the past too, people were working themselves into like, like sickness on these games. And like, I don't condone that. Of course, the product in this game though, is like, it's fantastic. And it it stands out. Like I, I think music is one of the things I like the most about most JRPGs, I think that they mm-hmm. just consistently have amazing music, but this this Chrono Trigger soundtrack just like rocketed up because it, it's such a complete package, I think. I think that's one of the reasons, and I know we're not quite at the kind of like the wrap up of like overall opinions, but I really but without going into like the without going into anything like too specific on our final thoughts. I do think that that's one of the reasons it looms large in so many people's minds who've played it. It really has everything. Graphics, story, gameplay, music. It it really has everything. Mm-hmm. Speaking of graphics, like I think this game looks great. I've said yeah. lots of times on the show that pixel art, especially from this era, is timeless basically Mm -hmm. like it will always look good chrono trigger will always be a good looking game but something that something i think makes it stand out is uh the animations even in the when they're still in like the the pixel art Mm -hmm. the animations are so much more expressive than a lot of games uh from the super nintendo jrpgs at least did that's like the bulk of my super nintendo experience is jrpgs and yeah. like the the animations for frog the animations for marl when she's happy stuff like that is just so uh it really lends a lot of characterization to these sprites basically i i think and a lot of it too is just really smart choices with the color palette and the overall art direction like um obviously the the you know the concept art was done by uh oh my god akira toriyama i totally blanked for a quick second on toriyama's name <laughs> um i mean the concept art was done by a legendary manga artist and obviously someone who's worked in games before because he you know toriyama also did like you said before the dragon quest game so it had a really strong base i mm-hmm. also just think like their choice of like the the colors and the visual choices that they that they went with are really strong, especially for the super Nintendo because super Nintendo, the palette on the super Nintendo was a little bit more muted than what you would see on the Genesis slash mega drive. And I don't mean that as like a slam. I I know the on a technical level, the SNES was more powerful, but I do think that in, it, it really just depends on the artist, of course, but like oh, by and large, like Genesis games were very bright and vibrant and SNES games had a little bit more muted tone to it, like a, more pastels kind of. Mm-hmm. And I think Chrono Trigger kind of bucked the trends of that because the game itself has just got these beautiful, like colorful sprites. The mm-hmm. 
beautiful colorful like designs like i'm looking at right now a screenshot of the teleporter that we were talking about at the beginning you know in the beginning of the game that starts the whole adventure through time yeah and it just they look really cool like the 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 art direction the the graphic design of not the graphic design but like the artistic design for these things are really interesting um a little fun fact by the way the I, I i'd have to remember the youtube channel it might have been been the boundary break youtube channel that i saw this on so mm-hmm. you know how when a portal through time pops open and it's got yeah. like these blue waves if you look mm-hmm. on the outer edge there's a there's a border this black border around the portal with all the blue waves and you'll periodically just see you know like white just go through like it's just kind of like it lo- looks like the port the the border itself is kind of like random um it looks like there's like white that's kind of traveling around it at like random intervals is the best way i can describe it and not like in mm-hmm. a perfect circle the way that was achieved is wild what it <laughs> what it literally is is that the <laughs> uh, behind everything there is a layer of nothing but white circles moving across the screen diagonally like diagonally left or something diagonally up and left and they layer it on top. So the only part of that layer that you see is only visible in the tiny sliver of the border around the, the, the time warp. So because it's white circles moving up at random intervals, it gives this very ethereal effect to the border of the time warp, which I thought was a really like that's a lot of work just to get a visual element that most people wouldn't even notice i didn't notice until i saw this excuse me until i saw this on a video but Mm -hmm. that's how much attention to detail was put into the visuals in this where they created an entire layer for like a two pixel border of a time warp that only shows up on conservatively five percent of the game or sorry like one percent of the game (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it's a very small part of the overall (laughs) art direction for sure but that's a yeah that's super interesting and i love hearing the tricks that people used back in the day to make these visual effects like with the technology available and stuff like that uh and again that's a lot of work and a lot of thought you just described uh, to get that effect. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's it's a very small part of the game. It pops up. Those portals are on screen for three to five seconds and then they're gone, yeah. you know? So <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. It's I'm glad you mentioned the colors because this is a super colorful game. It is, uh, it's just a real treat uh, to look at. Really enjoy it. Um, let me ask you this. So you played the Super Nintendo version, right? Yes. Did the Super Nintendo version have the anime cutscenes in it? It did not. That was not added, I believe, until the PlayStation version of the game. It could have been added only for the DS, but I'm 90% certain. I remember the first time I played Chrono Trigger at a friend's house was the PS1 version of the game, which, by the way, listeners, never play that version. It is awful because... (laughs) So every time you get into a battle, the game has to load the battle. And since it's a oh, disc-based yeah. system, you hear the thing go, like having to load the instance of the battle. And I'm thinking, you didn't load this when you came onto the screen? And this is a this is a Super Nintendo game. You're a PS1. You are 
a a decent amount more powerful than the Super Mm -hmm. Nintendo. Why is this so difficult for you? It's awful. I don't know if it's because of a technological limitation or the port was just a shitty port, but do not play the PS1 version of Chrono Trigger or argue. I I think it was bundled with uh, Final Fantasy, I think, as well. Yeah, that does sound pretty miserable. It's so Um, bad. I. Sorry, I was going to say um, one thing, one other comment I wanted to make about the visuals. Two specific instant, two specific scenes in the game that I think are just visually like really pretty to look at. I don't know if they're like technically impressive, but visually mm-hmm. I just like the way they look. One is when Chrono gets thrown into prison early in the game. That's not a spoiler alert. Um, that's no. just, that's very. Is that minor? Do you want me to read? No, it happens in stories. People get thrown in prison. It's fine. <laughs> okay um and when he as he's escaping there is a bridge that's connecting two towers of this prison with this big mountain in the backdrop and it, the mountain doesn't do any parallax scrolling at least in the version that i played um so maybe it didn't like the the super nintendo one but it just looked i think the design of that area for some reason was just really appealing to me i just liked how the bridge looked with the two towers on either side and then the one that i like even more is the fire there's a campfire with all of the party members yeah. hanging out by the trees after we're done recording dude i have um a picture frame with like a 3d version of that like it, it like kind of goes oh, back nice. into it i'll show it to you after we're done recording Cool. Yeah, I was going to mention that campfire scene too because it, it's that one stuck in my head as like something that I would like a poster of. It's it's a really pretty uh, thing. The DS version and the iOS version have these, uh, you know, Toriyama style cutscenes. Uh, have you seen them at least? I saw a little bit of the one on the PS1 version, but I haven't seen many of the others. I, I do they okay. add a lot to the game in your opinion? All right, so they're weird because they those anime cutscenes they play and then the pixel animation of the exact same thing plays afterwards. So like there's um a cutscene where where Frog uses his sword to cut open the side mm-hmm. of a, a mountain and reveal a, a cave. So like they'll play the anime version of that and then they'll play the pixelated version of that exact same scene. So that's kind of weird. But the animations in these uh, cutscenes are really good. Like, I really enjoy watching them. And seeing your characters in a different art style, this is, you know, an anime, you know, Toriyama style, as opposed to pixel sprites, I I think it's really cool. And um, I think everyone, like, looks good in both versions of it. So I I enjoyed watching those. And it's, it's not like a... It's not something that's going to like make the game for you or even something where it's like you got to get the DS version so you can see these cutscenes. It's just mm-hmm. it's a nice little treat. Pretty cool. I really wish I really wish I would have I mean, I still have the I was actually playing a little bit of the DS version on my own time but a lot of it I was playing was on my emulator just so that way I could stream it. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll go back and like when I do an inevitable full replay of this game so I can actually get my fucking new game plus, um, <laughs> I will actually play the DS version. So that way I can see all the cutscenes. It It is really cool. Yeah. Or just, you know, hop on YouTube and watch a compilation that exi- that's an option too. That's true. That's true. That'd be easier. <laughs> Thank you.
So let's get into some kind of final thoughts before we get into spoiler territory. I think I'm ready to start getting into some of these details. Guest always goes first. So for people uh, listening, maybe people who haven't played the game, what do you want people to know about Chrono Trigger? Who would you recommend this game to? I would actually recommend this game to anyone who's interested in trying out JRPGs. The reason is because it is very accessible, I would feel like. The mechanics aren't that complicated to deal with, but there there is depth there to it if you want to really break it down. It allows the player to choose between an active time battle and a wait system, so that kind of encompasses all player types in a sense like do you want something that's a little bit more frenetic and a little bit more fast paced or do you want to be able to take your time plot out your strategy not worry about getting attacked while you're thinking of your next move um Mm -hmm. both options are there the mechanically like i said it's relatively simple the it has great visuals great story up to a point which we'll get to in the spoiler wall but at least but at least a compelling enough story in the beginning to propel you to want to play more and great music like it really has a full package going for it and it's a relatively easy jrpg to get into when you first start and actually there's specifically there's a moment and we will i can't say it now because it's another spoil. i know i keep referencing the spoiler wall but like <laughs> early in the game the time travel mechanic plays into the story it, it marries the gameplay the story and the time travel extremely well with the events of what happens in the beginning of the game at the millennium fair and it's i think it's mm-hmm. a really cool way to do it even if they're are some frustrations with it um but anyway so yeah it's uh it's a really good game and if those who have not tried it if you like jrpgs it's worth if you like rpgs it's worth trying it still holds up in my opinion um yeah it's it it really does hold up and it like visually it holds up music holds up gameplay i think is there are certain games that don't age well um visually gameplay wise what have you but i really think all of this holds up even today even to modern context and i trust me i did this is not nostalgia talking here like i didn't grow up with this game this is something i played as an adult for the first time eight years ago when i was like 25 or whatever so like this wasn't like something that was in the prime age of like uh, it wasn't a formative experience for me but i think this game is good enough that it can be a formative experience for you even if you're 14 or 24 yeah i agree with you that i think this is a good first jrpg number one like you said the mechanics are relatively simple you're not going to be overwhelmed with character builds Uh, you're not going to be overwhelmed with customization it is a play through the story use the abilities that you gain figure out how to use them effectively there's nothing else really required of you in that way and i just like I can't overstate how nice it is to play and now to recommend a JRPG that is not 45 hours long. This is pretty short, relatively. There are a couple games um, that are coming up on the show in the coming months that are even shorter JRPGs, and I praise them for it too. Uh, It is perfectly possible to tell a full story in a JRPG and not have it be Persona 5. 120 yeah. hours and i i <laughs> yeah. love persona 5 but god 120 hours i think that game earns its 120 hours but that's a long time that's multiple days of your life chrono triggers not like that so if you want to see 
what people like about JRPGs, I think Chrono Trigger is a good game to uh, give you a taste. You know, the story is mostly good. The characters are good. The characters, um, they feel like a nice group. That's something I like about good JRPGs. The character groups are memorable, lovable, etc. I feel like Chrono Trigger does all that uh, pretty well. Plus, like you said, the game looks good. The music is fantastic. It's like best in class uh, music as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, this one gets a pretty easy recommendation for me. I will say this game has a reputation of like one of the best games of all time, best JRPG ever made. I don't feel that way about it. I think it's a very, very well-made game and it gets a lot of bonus points for being relatively short. It's not in my favorite JRPGs, probably because the story didn't connect with me the way that some other games like really hooked me and got me in for like an emotional journey. Uh, This game has some of those moments, but didn't get me that exact same way. I will say, I think that this game, the, if I had, this is a, not near, this is one of those ones where it's like a humble brag. It's like a humble criticism where it's like, this game will kind of spoil your opinion of other 16 bit JRPGs that came out of the time. In my opinion, not saying all of them, like there are still mm-hmm. a bunch of high quality ones. Like I still think final fantasy six holds up decently well overall, but like a lot of other JRPGs that came out at this time, I don't think are as good at this as this. And with that said, I actually don't, I am not a JRPG connoisseur. I, I've, I said that at the beginning and just to elaborate a little bit further, I don't play that many of them. I've played Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9, and 10. I have played um, a lot of, of Persona 3. Haven't beaten it yet. I've played a lot of Persona 3. Um, mm-hmm. And that's... I've played this. I've played Final 6. And that's honestly it. Like I, I Other than like the popular series... So I say all that to say I'm not an RPG enthusiast. I like RPGs and I like JRPGs, but I haven't played a lot of them. But it's one of those ones where it's like out of all the ones I've played, this is not my favorite. And I've played I've played a lot of others that I've never gotten far in. I've played like a Tellier Iris or uh, at, uh, how do you say a Tellier? At, at, I whatever. dude, I've looked at that word a bunch of times and never ever tried to say it out loud. And I'm not going to f- try it today. Today's not that day. <laughs> fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, I've tried that. I've played Nino Cooney. I've tried. I've like I've played a bunch of others, but you know I don't think I've ever got. I've played Final Thirteen as well, but I never really got far enough into them to really. Oh, I've played a lot of Nino Cooney. Anyway, sorry, I'm I'm tangenting, but the point I'm trying to make is that I've played a decent amount, but I wouldn't consider myself an RPG kind of sore just because there are so many out there, and there's people who've played so many of them. Mm-hmm. Out of the ones I've played, I like there are ones that I like more than Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9, 10, but I don't think there's any of the ones I've played are better than Chrono Trigger, if that makes sense. Like there's ones that I like more on a personal level, but when I s- step back and look at all the elements, to me this is one of the this I see why people say this is the best JRPG just because it has so many strong elements that it's just so hard to deny. It's not my favorite, but I it, I mm-hmm. find it very hard to argue that it's not the best. But with like I said, I'm not a JRPG expert. I've played very few. So take that opinion with a grain of salt. But I out of the ones I've played, it is not my favorite, but it is the best of the ones that I've played. 
Yeah, I think I think this game is deserving of its reputation, like in the pantheon of JRPGs, absolutely mm-hmm. deserves its spot. It's a very a very good game and it it it's again it it could be a very good just representative for the whole genre, I think. Not my favorite JRPG, the things that I value in JRPGs like combat and story, things I just didn't connect with super hard in Chrono Trigger, but yeah, very good game. It's a pretty easy recommendation too. I I do think that if you like JRPGs and you've you haven't played this, it's a no-brainer. And if you've never played a JRPG, this is a good first one. It might be one of the better uh, first ones. So, little housekeeping before we get into spoiler talk. Um, I want to give you a chance let people know where they can find still loading. You can find Still Loading on anywhere good podcasts are given out for free. It's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, <laughs> Spotify. Um, you can find it on my website, stillloadingpodcast.com. Um, there's also a Libsyn web address or something like that. You can find it in all those places. Um, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Still Loading Pod on all of them. So if you didn't hate my ramblings and my and my voice, you can find more of that all in those locations. Definitely recommend people check out Still Loading, a good show. Lots of diverse topics. So again, there, there's bound to be something that you um, that you will enjoy. And it sounds like if you're a real sicko and you like that Captain N show, or you want to hear people talk about it, you, that's you got to go. You got to go listen. So good recommendation, everyone. Check out Still Loading. Um, as far as Tales from the Backlog goes, I have a Discord server. If you want to come in and talk about Chrono Trigger, this week is going to be a perfect time to come do it. But we have a lot of cool people talking about video games. Other things to support podcasts are the same as always. Hit subscribe if you haven't already. If you've enjoyed the episode, enjoyed the show, consider leaving a rating and review if your platform allows it. And uh, check out a Top 3 podcast, which is my other show, if you like Top 3 lists. So... Josh and I are going to take a break, and when we come back, it's spoiler time for Chrono Trigger. All right, Josh and I are back and it's time for spoilers for Chrono Trigger. And we kind of danced around this in the non-spoiler part, as we do on the show. But uh, who are some of your favorite characters? We'll just kind of start out with that. I'm always a fan of the main character. I, I, I know that's cliche, but I'm always, I don't know what it is, but I always, I just get drawn to it because that's the character. I mean, I guess it's not that cliche considering you play as the main character usually. So that even if the main character like chrono is a silent protagonist though apparently he speaks one line in the entire one and it's if if you get the 12th ending um oh really yeah he says one line and apparently it's uh in ending number 12 called memory lane 
but I don't know hmm. what it is. I, I haven't, like I said, like I said earlier in the episode, I have, I've only beaten it once and I fucked it up. So I can't do all the bonuses, <laughs> but, um, my favorite character besides Chrono, and I wouldn't even say Chrono is my favorite, but Chrono is one of my favorites. I also really just like, let me find my list of all the characters again. I really like Marley a lot. I like the fact that a lot of times when you have a character who is a tomboy uh, or a, a, a like a rebellious princess, they right. kind of come off as like a, there's a bit of arrogance. There's a little bit of like anger. There's almost like they they feel like the world owes them because everyone keeps doubting them type of thing. And Marley mm-hmm. isn't like that. She's just this very genuine, kind person who also doesn't take shit from anybody. Like from the very get go, she's not afraid to call her dad out when she, when they're throwing Chrono in prison, they're not, af- she's not afraid to like stand in front of her own guards to protect Chrono. Like she's not a coward and she's not weak she's very she's a very strong character and i always really liked her um Mm -hmm. and i and i also kind of long i you i think you referenced it before if if maybe you haven't referenced it yet but like frog frog's an awesome character yeah frog's the best like frogs frog's my favorite hands down and frog gets more attention in the story than most of the other characters do like Mm -hmm. you can learn about Luca's backstory and you can learn more about Robo's backstory, but you will learn about Frog's backstory. That's part of the story of this game is like learning about Frog, how, you know, he and his, um, his friend, I think his name's Glenn failed to defeat, uh, again, (laughs) names. I always called him Magus, but it, why would, why would it not be Magus? I don't know. But Uh, I said Magus as well. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Handshake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, they have that story where they fail uh, to defeat Magus. He, he gets turned into a frog. He is uh, despondent, and then he gets this new, renewed energy and purpose throughout the story. It's a really good character arc. Um, in a, a lot of the side characters in the game, you learn about them. They do stuff throughout the story. They don't have, like, full character arcs i think frog might be the only one that has like a full character arc and it feels a lot like the first half of the game two-thirds maybe up until the Mm -hmm. point chrono dies feels like it's frog's story that you're playing through up until you fight magus at least what i like about um frog as well is just that he kind of has a little bit of a mysterious edge to him like he he kind of reminds me a little bit of shadow at the beginning from final six at the beginning of the game because he comes and goes from your party um Mm -hmm. so you get this cool character and then he disappears all of a sudden now i do love this trend in old school localization where you have and i'm sure glenn was the actual translation but i love localization where they ch- i don't i i would I, you know what let me put it this way i would love to know if glenn was the original name in, J- in japanese or if that was a localization mm-hmm. choice the reason being is i love old video games where they make these like grand sounding names and then so look, look let's take a list of look at a list of the characters in this game right you have chrono you have marley you have luca you have uh robo frog ayla magus Glenn 
Yeah. And it just, <laughs> it just is so anticlimactic, especially for a moment that is supposed to be Frog's origin story. The, the reason why he, wait, is Glenn's Frog, Frog's real name? I'm blanking on this now. Glenn is Frog's real name. Yeah. <laughs> Glenn. His name is Glenn. <laughs> Are you serious right now? Like, <laughs> his, and his friend's name is Cyrus. Yeah. His, his friend has a more interesting name than he does. Cyrus yeah, it's, and at least it's Glenn? it's Glenn with two N's. It's not just one N, it's two. So there's <laughs> double the the fun, I guess. That reminds me of one so I, I referenced at the beginning of the episode when I did that still loading story time, the dramatic readings of video game manuals. Mm-hmm. In the NES game Clash at Demon Head, the main character's name is Bang, and his girlfriend's name is Mary. But you have like <laughs> the attack at like Demon Head Mountain and General Tatsumoto. I, like they have these very non American sounding names and then Bang and Mary, which I yeah. think is a little subtle <laughs> hint at, I guess, what's going on there. But um, yeah. <laughs> but no, sorry. Yeah, I, I really like Frog though. I'm with you. I, I like his story. I like that he's kind of more of a focus. And they, they do have other cool stories with the other characters. Um, I, I for isn't I think there's something with Luca's mom in the one in the one side yeah. quest. So Luca's side quest is um you kind of relive this memory because it's it's always Luca and her dad, and you yeah. never see her mom throughout the story. So you go through the side quest and you see what happened to Luca's mom, and she she dies in this family of inventors has all this machinery around the house, and she like gets I think she gets like her clothing caught in machinery and dies. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I Yeah. I forget what exactly, yeah. but yeah. And it's this interesting side quest uh, because you can control Luca in this memory and I guess you can like stop it, but I didn't know that. I thought it was just a cutscene, So I just like stood there and watched her die in this, cut, <laughs> in this uh, side quest. It was pretty brutal when I, I like checked the guide afterward and it was like, yeah, during this, you can go up and like turn off the machine. But I was like, oh, I, I thought this was a cutscene. That, that actually is something that, um, happens in. So one of the things I was reading a few dev interviews in preparation for this, I didn't get a chance to, I didn't get a chance to get very far. I only got like maybe a paragraph or two into the one, but one of the systems they actually incorporated in this game was to allow characters to allow the player to move around in the middle of text boxes. Like while dialogue was happening, you could still move around just like you would if you were speaking to someone like you're not staying in the exact same, uh, uh, you're not staying in like like when you have a conversation with someone, you're not necessarily standing still frozen, just listening to it happening. Uh, so mm-hmm. they kind of wanted to replicate that a little bit by allowing the player to move around during the conversations. So while that's cool, I do think it ends up thinking being like you you forget sometimes that you're not always in a cutscene, especially because everything was done in 16 bit. So you're not quite sure. Uh, what is a cutscene sometimes and what you're able to move around during because you're not able to move around during all cutscenes just some of them right yeah so that one kind of made me feel bad but you know. <laughs> so a couple things i just i kind of just want to throw out a couple things that i think are mm-hmm. cool about the story um because like i said earlier i don't love the whole story as like a total package but there are some things that i think are cool about it mm-hmm. so i like how they keep kind of 
I guess this is a storytelling thing, right? You keep changing who the real villain is, and this is definitely a JRPG thing. <laughs> yes. But you spend the first several hours of the game thinking that Magus is going to be the um, the villain. He's summoning Lavos, and you have to stop mm-hmm. him from doing that. And I like uh, anytime you do something like that in a game, and then it turns out that that's like not what you were supposed to do. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you find out later that like Magus was trying to stop Lavos and you just like fucked it all up because you have this kind of revenge story with Frog and you think like he's definitely the bad guy. I have to take him down. Yep. And that's not true. And I enjoy that a lot. And I like the fact that this is one of the this is one of the the one party member that you is optional. You don't have to get Magus. He actually right. ends up becoming a party member, which is kind of cool. Like it's kind of cool that like you usually, at least in all the RPGs that I've played, where the villain isn't the actual main villain, i.e., you know, uh, the dude from Final Six and Kefka being the real villain. I forget the name of the general of the kingdom, but or the leader of the kingdom, but. And the, but like it's not like the king became like joined your party. In this one, Magus joins your party. You have the option to yeah. spare him and have him join your party. And he's a pretty he's a pretty good party member too. I yeah. enjoyed him. He's a very good party member. Um, so I I like I I really enjoy that. And but the moment that kind of that we referenced before the plot twist that it's kind of like the where at least the the story turned for me, it's the moment where Chrono dies. Yeah. Would you, was that the same for you or was it a different moment where the story kind of took a turn for you? Um, I didn't expect Chrono to die. So here's how it went. So I, I really liked the story with Magus, mm-hmm. how he seemed like he was the final boss, the big bad, and he's not, mm-hmm. um, then you go to the future and you see how people are living in the future after Lavos like uh, destroyed everything. And I really like that. Like, I really like that part of the story. Then you go to zeal and I do not like the storyline with zeal and the queen, etc. I don't like that. But then Chrono died and I was like, okay, now I'm back in the story. We got to, we got to buy a doll that looks like Chrono and revive him, you know? That's where I kind of was like, that's dumb. The doll thing. Like, I, I, I like the fact that you could bring, I, I, I like the fact that you can bring Chrono back, but that's apparently optional. You don't have to bring Chrono back to finish the game. Yeah, you can go. F- I mean, w- so when I was, I was looking at the guide, it always at the end of every chapter in the guide, it says, here's what happens if you go fight Lavos now. Here's what ending you'll get if you go fight Lavos now. Yeah. So, yeah, so you can, you just, not bring Chrono back and go fight Lavos, and I assume you get a different ending. I would guess so, but it's still like really, you can go back to get Chrono. But I was actually surprised what you said a bit ago, though, that you didn't like the Kingdom of Zeal. What was it about the Kingdom of Zeal that you didn't like so that much? I just like it's not the kingdom. The kingdom was interesting, like walking around because it's like the you know the the people living down on the ground living in squalor, you know, no one has anything to eat, etc. And then the, the people living above the clouds or whatever. I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed walking around the kingdom. I just didn't find the, um, the, 
for a while, that's your villain, right? The queen. Mm -hmm. And I thought Magus was a good villain. I think like the impending threat of Lavos is a really cool villain. And I just didn't think that this like, you know, I didn't need an evil queen in this game. Like, you know, they're trying to summon Lavos. They're trying to harness Lavos's power. Lavos was coming anyway. I didn't, I didn't need that. And it's like this storyline is just not as compelling for me as what came before and what comes after. It's just kind of like a weak part for me. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I see. I actually couldn't remember that the Lavos thing happened before. Like, like I, I thought that Lavos came after or sorry, it came before the kingdom of zeal, but it's like, it's been a minute since I've, played the game so it that that would explain why i forgot that so lavos comes as like a meteor yeah right and like blocks out the shit blocks out the sun and stuff like that and the people in zeal they're trying to harness harness the power of lavos to you know will we whatever you Capitalism. do with all that power that's what they're that's what they're trying to do yeah so i'm even kind of blanking on some of the specifics of this part of the story because it's not like it just like was not super interesting to me um, other than seeing how the other side lives, you know? Well, so what it says here is, let's see here. What it says here is that uh, basically in the antiquity time era, this is from the wiki, uh, Chrono rescues Melchior from the Mountain of Woe and subsequently attempts to rescue Shala, the innocent Zeal princess who is being exploited by her mother, Queen Zeal. When right, uh, so it seems like that that's all. That's literally all it says about the Kingdom of Zeal in this like description on the wiki. That's interesting because then right after that is when Chrono confronts. They just go straight to Chrono confronting Lavos in the Ocean Palace of the Kingdom of Zeal. Yeah, and I think that's because like they woke Lavos up, and okay, then you have to go because they're tr- they're using this machine to try and harness the power of Lavos, and like now you have to go fight him, and Chrono dies. So I see. So C- Lavos crashes into the planet. It's un it's not awake at the time, but the Kingdom of Zeal awakens it. They're trying to because they want to harness the power. Yeah. Okay. See, I don't, I don't mind that so much. It, it's because the Queen of Zeal doesn't know what's. I mean, I mean, maybe she does because it's a super advanced um, civilization, from what I remember. And it has been a minute since I've seen this portion of the game. But if she doesn't know what the future holds, she doesn't understand that her, what she's doing is awakening Lavos and ca- going to cause the apocalypse. So it's. Um, so because so she turns into a villain almost not that she's a good person but she turns she's a villain almost of ignorance or because of ignorance because she doesn't know what's going to come no like people warn her people say like you shouldn't do this this is too much etc and she's like no unlimited power it's one of those things. Uh, it's just not a super compelling uh villain especially after you got your fake out with magus you have this impending threat um, like in Earthbound, it, it's almost the exact same kind of uh, impending threat from a alien, yeah, you know, agent of destruction. See, I never um, thought of her as the main, as like a replacement villain, though. I always kind of considered her like 
it, it's like one of those things where like you know who the main villain is, but then your character goes off in this side like it he you know he gets a lot he gets thrown into a tornado by something and he's in some new land and now he has to fight the ruler of that land to get back to the original villain and, and maybe you just don't like that storytelling trope, which is totally fair because it does. It, it can be done super poorly where like I'm even thinking of you're playing Uncharted three. Yeah. In that game. uh, And not this doesn't spoil anything for that game, but there's a moment in that game where literally, and this was because of, of poor game design on Naughty Dogs to part, not because the gameplay was bad, but in terms of story design, I guess they wanted to get a, a capsizing ocean liner as a set piece into the game. And the only way they could shoehorn it into the story was by having Drake get carted off by this pirate. It gives you that new pirate villain for just a moment before you get back to the main villain. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it shows back up. And that it's so dumb because the capsized ocean liner is sinking and it, it sinks. And Drake washes up on shore back at the city that he started in. And he literally goes, oh, that's convenient. And I, 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 get, <laughs> I get that that's their way of writing it off. They realize, like, this is too contrived. This is dumb. But then why did you do it? Like, it just it bothers me. And so they it's I think this works better than that in the sense that it doesn't feel like they're creating a villain just to fit a certain set piece in. I think because of the whole time travel element, I think it kind of works. But then again, I haven't gotten to this point in like eight years and you played it just a couple weeks ago. So like I may you you would have a better memory of it than I would. So maybe when I get back to it, when I do my inevitable replay of this game, maybe I'll get back to this section and not enjoy it. Yeah, I, I played this. I think I beat this about a month ago. And I just remember thinking like, you know, Magus was a compelling villain. Mm hmm. And then, you know, the impending threat of Lavos coming, just like Gigas in Earthbound, is is awesome. I love that kind of, you know, I love that kind of villain, that ultimate, like, big bad. And then I just, I just didn't need an evil cackling queen in the game. See, basically. I think that, that's all. See, I guess I don't, I like the idea of Lavos. I like actually the visual design of Lavos. I think Lavos looks really cool, but I Mm -hmm. don't necessarily like that style of villain just because there's no personality to it. There's no motive. It's just a mindless thing. And I, or it feels like a mindless thing at the very least. Yeah. Uh, See, I like that it is a mindless thing instead of like a... Like a villain with like a, a character and like some uh, not to not to be uh not to uh be derogatory or not to not to make fun of it not trying to be uh, rude to it but like instead of having like motivations for it like it uh, or a tragic backstory to explain the the motives of this tragic villain you, you just like the fact that it's just like it's just doing its thing. So I like villains that have good backstories and i mm-hmm. like i like uh, the occasional mustache twirling evil for the sake <laughs> yeah. of being evil villain too like i i like kefka from final fantasy 6 but sometimes i just like you know this is a mindless agent of chaos and it doesn't you know doesn't seem to have a real motivation except you know it's it goes and eats planets and that's what it does and now it's on your planet yeah and Sometimes I kind of like that as a villain. 
That's fair. That's fair. It's just not. It's just not my cup of tea. I don't. I think it can be done, but I think when you have a game with a really interesting story up to a certain point with really deep characters, and then its villain is just this mindless beast, I would rather know about the mindless beast from the get go. You know, like I'd rather know like this is what it's up to the whole time versus this because otherwise you surround the game with all this mystery as to what's going on only to reveal that it's like this boring ass um like there's no there's no complexity to the villain. With that said, I think it works a lot better in this than it did in Earthbound because Earthbound it just kind of throws the like, you know, the villain at the very end you find out what it really is. If if I remember oh, correctly. I like it better in Earthbound because I don't want to spoil the end of Earthbound, but I do like it better in Earthbound. Lavos seems to be more intelligent, like not Lavos knows what it's doing and, you know, is this like super powerful being yeah. from the stars, you know. I I kind of like it better in Earthbound. I I like Lavos a lot too though. That's interesting. That's interesting that like that's just kind of crazy that we both we come at it from different perspectives there. Like I prefer the one that at least I know what like when it's a simple villain, I want a simple reason. I want to know it right away. When it's a more complex, mm-hmm. if it's a more complex, yeah, if it's a simple villain, I don't want that to be the big plot twist at the end because then it feels like the plot twist has been cheated to me. Um. But to be fair, in Earthbound, the game itself is super silly. Like, it's not like the game has a crazy complex plot or like, yeah, it, the, that that game is meant more to make you think about it's It's more to be introspective than anything. If if you're going to read into it at all. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like Lavos is fine. I just I guess um I didn't mind the Queen of Zeal as much because she didn't seem like a replacement villain. She just kind of seemed like this is the villain that you have. This is like the next boss you have to get through to get to to the big bad, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 I get it from like a storyboard perspective, but I just didn't, you know, find her very compelling where, well, I- I've said it several times. So yeah. moving on. Um, <laughs> so there's a real quick moment after. I think it's after Chrono dies, you're kind of going around talking to people, trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to get Chrono back. There's a nice moment where um, you find out that Shala, Shala's younger brother, uh, when you go to Zeal, that's Magus. Uh, yes, up. yes, yeah. And he had a he had a cat uh, following him around in all those scenes when he was a little kid. He fell into a time portal, mm-hmm. and uh, that's you know that's where Magus came from. There's a a moment late in the game when you go to a village and that cat is in the village and it remembers Magus if Magus is in your party and will follow you around what? in the village. Oh, that's and so it was, cute. Uh, very sweet. Yeah. That's, I, I, that's, um, and do they call attention like very to it? Very full heart during that part. They don't call attention to it, uh, but the cat will like get up and follow you around the village only if Magus, I think, is the party leader in there. That's kind of awesome. Like, I love that type of thing where it's not like this overt storytelling in the sense that, like, it, it they don't call attention to it. And so it makes it that much more impactful if you do notice it because they took the time to add that little bit of attention to detail. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Just a, just a 
very small, short moment, but it's it's something I I probably remember for a while from the game. Um, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot else about the story. So you want to talk about kind of final boss and how it ends and stuff like that? Well, one last thing, and it'll be quick about the story. Um, yeah. The, the turning point for me, the reason why I don't like after Chrono gets killed and they replace it with oh, that right. weird dummy thing, and but I think it's in <laughs> service of the game, is because that at that moment, that's where a lot of the alternate endings split off. That's where you can start choosing how you want to complete the game, like which side quest you're going to complete. Are you going to resurrect Chrono? Are you not going to resurrect Chrono? Are you going to do all these different things that you can do, get different characters, do side quests, all this good stuff? And it, I understand why they do that. I think the reason I dislike the story after that moment is because it is, it's not. I I don't like the reason the way that you get Chrono back and it kind of robs the story of like I it's it's essentially supposed to be like disc 3 of Final Fantasy 7, right? Where like you've completed the majority of the story and you're pretty much in like the 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 home stretch. But the home stretch mm-hmm. now feels a lot less purposeful because you you even though you should feel more purposeful, purposeful because Chrono sacrifices himself for the party. But it just it feels very strange. I don't know. I, I from what I remember, it just it felt odd. I, it did move me that Chrono died, like that Chrono sacrifices himself. Like I really, I thought that that was a good emotional punch. But the way it's kind of treated afterwards just wasn't my favorite in terms of story. In terms of gameplay, I really like it. I like the fact that it allows you to try all these different things and in service yeah. of the multiple endings. So I think it works really well in that aspect. I just I just feel like it kind of loses a little bit of steam. But you know what? Maybe when I replay it, I'll have my opinion changed on it too. So who knows? I Yeah, I enjoy that from a gameplay part, uh, partly because this made me appreciate how good Ayla is in combat, even though I don't like her as a character <laughs> at all. She's excellent in combat, mm-hmm. especially when Chrono is not there. And so I enjoyed this um, like from a gameplay perspective, and I enjoyed from a story perspective. You know, the, the leader is gone, and the party's going to band together mm-hmm. to try and get them back. And I, I enjoyed that a lot more than what you referenced in final fantasy seven. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So I, you know, I did enjoy that part. And then when you get him back and then it's finally like, okay, we've got it. It's, it's, it's go time. It's time to go, um, time to go finish this off. So do you remember if you did the black omen, it's an optional, uh, thing. It's like a boss rush and you fight queen zeal at the end. I might have done that. I think I don't remember. I I genuinely don't remember. I feel like I might have done it. It sounds fighting Queen Zeal sounds familiar to me, but I don't remember anything else. It's a super gimmicky boss fight against mm-hmm. Queen Zeal, um, which was fine. I I just I don't love boss rushes, especially in games where if you die on like let's say there's a boss rush of like five bosses and you die after boss three you have to do the whole thing over again and the black omen is not like so bad in that way but the final boss against lavos has like 11 forms it's ridiculous and i i don't like boss rushes in rpgs because 
And like so Mega Man, at least in Mega Man, those boss rushes, one, if you die on a boss, you don't have to start back. But even if you take that out of the equation, um, say you lose all your lives and you have to start all the boss rushes over, right? In Mega Man, right? Right. The bosses aren't that long. You might it might be a one to two minute battle. In JRPGs, yeah. boss fights are long. So you're not committing mm-hmm. like just if it's an eight boss boss rush. In Mega Man, you might, if you're good at it, you might get it done in 15, 20 minutes. In 15, 20 minutes, that's one boss in a JRPG. <laughs> like you're, you're it spending, be. it could be like some, some bosses you might get down, done pretty quickly, but in general, you're spending at least five to 10, I would say at least 10 minutes on a boss. Um, yeah, eh, in, at least in five Chrono to 10. Trigger, a little bit shorter in my experience, but, but still, it's like the, the final bosses, like especially the, many many forms of lavos at the end even the first phase of lavos goes through like these 10 forms of bosses you've fought before in mm-hmm. the game and so and their gimmicks so it's like do you remember fighting that t-rex boss from like hour three well it's back now in this do you remember the gimmick i didn't so it's, <laughs> in one like in on one hand it's kind of cool to bring back the mechanics from stuff earlier in the game and like call back to it, especially if you remember, but I didn't remember. So I had to look in a guide for how to get through again. It's like 10 phases in phase one of Lavos. It's a bit much. It is a little frustrating. Yeah, I would agree. I don't, I don't, I don't really like that in general. I don't enjoy final bosses of RPGs. Um, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Generally, because because they they tend to suffer from the diehard approach to filmmaking. If this make like, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the diehard approach to filmmaking to to as a as a metaphor for this. Mm-hmm. In Die Hard, you have you ever see the Die Hard movies? Yeah, yeah. So in the first Die Hard movie, you know, you uh, it takes place in uh, Nakatomi Plaza. Second one, they got to up the ante. So it's not a building; it's an airport. It's not just one tower. You have right. a whole series of buildings. Then the third movie, it takes place in the city of New York. The fourth movie is the entire eastern seaboard. They go from Washington, D.C. <laughs> all the way up to New York and all over the fucking place. And then the fifth one is yeah. Russia. It's just Russia. Like they <laughs> they have to keep upping the ante to increase the stakes. And that's fine to an extent, but it does suffer after a while. And this is coming from someone I love Die Hard one through four. Not a fan of the fifth one, but I love Die Hard one through four. Um, but they're not like, but it's not necessarily a sustainable model. And so when you ha- they kind of do that with the final bosses of the of JRPGs, where it's like, well, you fought all these other bosses. We got to make sure that this boss really ups the ante, and they go fucking mm-hmm. over the moon with it. Like I even remember replaying uh, the original Kingdom Hearts, and Ansem has like seven or eight forms, and they're not easy to fight. Um, yeah, and it's it's stuff like that where it's like you don't need that many forms, and it's especially kind of jarring considering most bosses only have one to two phases maybe three if you have a really major story boss um Mm -hmm. and three is super rare it's usually one or two and then so you go through like you know bunch of bosses 10 12 however many bosses are in the game only maybe one two phases tops and then all of a sudden you have your final boss which has 12 phases you're like what the fuck where did this come from it's a little jarring 
It is. Yeah. It's another reason I like Earthbound so much. Um, and so Lavos, you go through all these phases that are like aping previous bosses in the game. Then Lavos, it's like the other forms of Lavos have, you know, you go through, I want to say three or four forms of Lavos, um, which one of them is the same one that you fought um, when Chrono died. Mm-hmm. And then one of them is like a harder version of that. And then you fight the final form of Lavos, which I th- I think is, I would have been mad if I died against it because I would have had to fight all those other forms again. I didn't die because I was using a guide at this point. Um, I'm pretty shameless about using guides, uh, especially when there is potential to like just waste a whole bunch of time. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I wouldn't, the, uh, I don't the final, blame you. I would use it yeah. too. The final form of Lavos has this thing where like, it's like a humanoid looking thing. And then there's like these two satellite things, uh, floating and your instinct is to hit the one that looks like a human, but that's not the one that you got to beat or that you have to hit in Lavos. It's the one, um, on the right that you have to hit. And Mm -hmm. so you're kind of spinning these plates in the fight, like trying to keep up. It's one of those fights where like, you're trying to keep up damage on this part while also dealing with attacks from this part and healing from this part. Mm -hmm. It's one of those. Right. And I, you know, I thought that was like kind of fun, but I was using a guide because I was, I was so like in the back of my head, I was like, man, if you die here, it's going to take you 20 minutes to get back to this point. And I was like, not up for that. And kind of like what you said, like final bosses in JRPGs are just like, too much sometimes and i think that's you know like i like lavos i like the idea of these different forms but in play like in practice it's a lot yeah not sure i love it (laughs) no i'm with you i'm with you so which uh do you remember which ending you got like when you played it when you finished it not even in the slightest. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I can tell you exactly what I did though. So you know how there is in the ending, you can, you can fight your way through like an airship to like get you to like, uh, it was like, I forget. I think it's the black omen. Maybe, um, mm-hmm. is that what it is? I think you have to fight your, all your way through it and defeat queen zeal. Yeah. And then, so I just, I skipped that and I just took the end of time and said, Hey, take me straight to Lavos. Mm-hmm. And I did that so I could bypass. I, at that point, I was just like, I don't want to do an, a whole the whole Black Omen ship. Um, Black Omen's the ship, right? Am I remembering this correctly? Yep. Mm-hmm. Holy yeah, shit! It's a boss I, rush. So I thought that was when you were talking about it. I thought that was just a side quest, and I guess it technically is because you don't need to do it to beat the game. But mm-hmm. I, you need in order to get the 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 new game plus, you need to do the Black Omen. You have to oh, do it. Okay. You have I to see. do it because I didn't do it and that's what fucked me over. I see. Okay. So I did it. I was just kind of following what this guide said to do. And I was like kind of curious, like what's in there, you know, I want to mm-hmm. see what's in there at least. So I did it. I think I got what's considered to be like the standard ending of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you beat Lavos, everyone celebrates. And then all the characters say goodbye as they head home to their own like home time period, you know? And, uh, you know, you, you come to really like 
all of the crew except for Ayla in my case. So I was not sad to see her go, but like when Robo goes back to the future and like, you know, um, you know, you're never going to see Robo again. He's from a thousand years into the future. Yep. So yeah, I, I like that ending. It's, it's kind of bittersweet, you know, saying goodbye to your crew from the whole game characters that I really like. Um, yeah, it's, you know, nice tied up. You'd be, I, I think that the game, like at least this ending ties it all up pretty neatly. I, I agree. I mean, I, I wish I, I forget. I genuinely forget what mine was. I, I like, I like bittersweet endings though. I like ones that it, it makes you really enjoy the time that you had in the game and you feel sad that it's over because you know, you can't have it again. That kind of like, mm-hmm. I like endings that, that do that. It kind of reminds me of, um, I know I, I've been referencing a lot of random stuff throughout this episode, but have you ever watched the office? Yeah. I love the quote from Andy Bernard at the end of the show. This doesn't spoil anything in case anyone, for some reason, anyone's curious about the storyline of the office, which doesn't <laughs> kind of has one, but kind of not. But yeah, in the last episode, Andy Bernard says, I really wish, I really wish you knew in the moment when you were in the good times, because you only almost always realize it after the fact. And it kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of this. The ending you described kind of reminds me of that, where it's like, you had all you had this chaotic stressful intense mission with like with robo and with these people and now you can't you might not see any of them for the rest of your life and yeah uh, as much as this is just a game I, that is still a very real emotion for people outside of games like whether maybe maybe it's like you know you're moving across the country and you might not get to see family anymore or maybe you're uh uh, maybe it's even something like a bunch of maybe it's a job you really really loved and you were there for years and now you're maybe you don't even have to move across country but maybe you're just like leaving the job for somewhere else and now this is the end of an era and then you kind of forget all the you kind of don't realize all the times that you had in the midst of all the chaos that was going on those might have been the good times and you didn't really notice it and it kind of reminds me of that with like those bittersweet endings in JRPGs. I, I, I like that feeling though, because it, it kind of makes me appreciate the game a little bit more. Mm-hmm. The, the very real, like real world thing, like the feeling I had was like that feeling when the characters are saying goodbye and you hope you're like, man, I hope, I hope they can see each other again, but mm-hmm. that is impossible. It will never happen. And that's a you know a situation you find yourself in in real life sometimes too and that like you just those situations you described where you say goodbye you're like and in the back of your mind you you kind of know like especially you know, as you get older this happens mm-hmm. more and more often right and you're like i'll probably never see that person again or um i had this luck it didn't turn out this way but i had this feeling the last time i was visiting the united states when i still lived overseas and i said goodbye to my dog I was like, hey, man, dogs don't live forever. This might be the last time you see your dog. And it's kind of the same feeling I got from the end of um, Chrono Trigger. Of course, I love my dog more than I love Robo from Chrono Trigger. <laughs> but yeah. same same kind of emotion. Um, so definitely like celebratory. You defeated Lavos. You saved all of these time periods. But the crew is splitting up and they will never see each other again. Now, I never played Chrono Cross. I don't even know if any of these characters are in Chrono Cross. I know nothing I'm not about sure that either. game. Yeah, so I have no idea. 
but I'm going to guess that they're different characters from what little I've seen looks like a different cast. Last couple things before we wrap up. I was never really interested in playing Chrono Cross. I've heard a lot of divisive opinions about it, but I did like this game enough that I'm now interested. I think I will play Chrono Cross uh, sometime. Have you played it? I've played a little bit of it. I actually have a strategy guide of it. I haven't really gotten far into the game when I first got it, but has an amazing mm-hmm. soundtrack as well. Like there is like the opening mu- like the opening song with the opening cinematic to Chrono Cross is fantastic. Um okay. The well, that's Mitsuda too, I think. So I probably think so I don't know off the top of my head, but the the things that I remember that I I I don't have enough of an opinion on it. But it has more care. The thing is, um, <laughs> the things that you I think you liked about Chrono Trigger are very not the same in this in Chrono Cross. <laughs> um, for example, yeah. you, the things that you liked how <laughs> concise and um, direct it was. There's like thirty characters in Chrono Cross. There were six in Chrono Trigger. Um, right. I, yeah. <laughs> and you, it's one of those games where you may not get all of them in the same, in the one playthrough. Like it's, it's, I don't think it's possible to get all of them in one playthrough. It's one of those games. Okay. Those games are not good for me because I rarely replay games. Like very rarely. Now I don't know if, I don't know how much like you can get. I don't know how good the story is. I don't know how interesting the characters are. So if you don't mind just playing through the game one time and just getting what you get, then you might enjoy it. I have no idea though. I have no idea if this is a, if it's a, if it's actually a good game or not. I do know it's a very polarizing sequel. Almost everyone loves Chrono Trigger. It's very split on the sequel. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely if I know anything about Chrono Cross, it is that some people really love it and some people really hate it. So one last question. So, you know, the guy in the end of time that teaches you magic and you can yeah. go fight him. Yeah. Did you ever beat that guy? I never even tried. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, okay. He seems scary. I didn't want to. This dude lives outside of time. Like why yeah, you're right. <laughs> like what kind of hubris do I have to go fight a man who doesn't live in time? It's crazy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I did uh like right before I was ready to go fight Lavos. I was like cuz I tried throughout the game. I tried to fight him and before I went to go fight Lavos, I was like, "You know what? I'm going to try it." And he just absolutely waxed me. And I was at a high enough level where Lavos like it was tough but I was never like really in danger. Like I was tanking the hits. I was doing a lot of damage, et cetera. But this, I don't know how you beat this guy in the end of time. I would be curious, like just maybe look up a playthrough of someone beating it. Yeah. Might be something for another day, but for today, I think we're going to call it here, man. So thank you so much for coming on and talking about Chrono Trigger for over two and a half hours now. Yeah, I was surprised that uh, I was surprised that it, I was looking at my recording I'm like, holy shit, we went longer than I thought on the story. Yeah, well, that's the uh, that's how Tales from the Backlog goes <laughs> so often. <laughs> um, here I was thinking like, oh, Chrono Trigger, that's a pretty simple game. Um, you know, talk about things we like and, you know, mechanics, but there's, you know, there's not a lot to like dig deep into. We should be out of here in two hours as I put on clown makeup like that meme, right? But <laughs> yeah. here we are, man. It's been a blast. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me on. I do have one final question for you. 
And it's a sure. little bit heavier of a question. Did you get to see your dog again? I did. He's. I'm here. Well, he's asleep, but I did get to see him again. Yeah. There we go. We end off on a happy note. I was going to say if this if it ended up being really morbid, I would have told you to cut it, but uh, we yeah. end off on a happy no, note. No, we keep but it no. in. <laughs> no, Magnus is alive and well. He's doing good. Magnus, Magusness, yeah. Magus. Uh, it's perfect for Chrono Trigger, right? No, but um, almost, almost, almost there. But dude, dude, thank you so much for having me on. This was a ton of fun. Yeah, thanks, dude. Everyone, uh, thank you for listening again. Check out Still Loading podcast. It's a very good show. Highly recommended. And stay tuned next week for the next game that comes out of the backlog.